comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. And this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Out Now is a film podcast with Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, this is going to be one of our, well, pretty much the most special bonus episode we do, because it's wrapping up 2012. We are going to do our top ten films of 2012 on this episode, right, Abe? Yes, we are. Yes. Um, myself... Abe and my guest that we have on today's show, we all have our top 10 list for the year of 2012, and that's what we're going to be presenting this time. We're just going to kind of jump straight into it. i got some announcements and stuff, but before I get to that, let's uh, introduce the guests that are going to be on the show, revealing their top 10 list as well. First off, we have writer for Fast Film Reviews, broadcasting live from the island of Misfit Toys, Mark Hoban. Hey, everyone. We have writer for Damn Dirty Blog, the man who recently closed his own loop, Jordan Grout. I love you all. Thank you for having me. <laughs> from the racked folk, from the racked focus, uh, still regaling from all the accolades he received from the acapella championship sing-offs, Maxwell Haddad. Hello. <laughs> oh, that was nice. And uh, joining Thank us, you very much. joining us later, we'll have from formerly of the VHS Diaries, starting some yet to be titled blog, a man who strapped on his wig and voted for the Thirteenth Amendment, Alan Aguilera, and yeah, he'll be joining us later on. So. Let's uh, get right. How are you guys doing? Great. Ready? Excellent. Ready for this? Uh, yes. All right. So ready. I've been planning all year for this, so. Nice. I get it. Well, you're going to have to wait a little longer because I have a few announcements here, or a few emails, basically. Uh, first off, we have one from Adam Gentry who's not joining us on the show tonight because I'm pretty sure he's still searching for his entries from the 2011 Top Ten list. But um, let's see. Yeah, Adam had a question specifically to Abe. Here, here it is. Uh-oh. I would like to know how Abe's campaign to bring the Susicle in Antarctica is going, and if it figures at all to his New Year's resolutions. It's very difficult. I haven't had as much Kickstarter campaign contributions as I would like. Um, what is he referring to? Because I'm not even I sure. I have no idea. I was, just, I was just going off the top of my head here. Okay, because you answered... <laughs> you ruined the illusion, Aaron! You answered so quickly, I figured you knew what the hell you were talking about, because I, I don't know. I had a Kickstarter campaign! Who doesn't have one? All right. I assume we get free cookies for contributing. 
All right. Well, there's that one. Um, I did ask uh, people to uh, submit their own top ten list if they had any, and I said they'd be read on the show. So we do have one from uh, Izzy Dilbs. Yeah, do like on our Facebook page. Yeah, do like on our Facebook page. So thanks, Izzy. And uh, yeah, he he sent his uh, his own top ten list here, so I'm gonna just read them out right now. At number ten, he has Wreck-It Ralph. Number nine, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Number eight, Django Unchained. Number seven, Robot and Frank. Number six, Cosmopolis. Number five, The Avengers. Number four, The Dark Knight Rises. Number three, Argo. Number two, Looper. And number one, Silver Linings Playbook. So thank you, Daisy. That's a it's a fine list there. And uh, let's see. Last thing, we have a question from Gary Sofford. Um, he asks if you guys have seen a more. And he'd love to hear uh, our thoughts on the work of Michael Haneke and thoughts on Amor's Oscar chance. Has anyone else seen Amor on here? No. I certainly have. Maxwell, you have? Is that what you said? Yeah, 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 you have. Uh, Mark, you haven't seen Amor yet? No, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. I know Adam Gentry has seen it. He's not on the podcast, but I know he's quite fond of it. Maxwell, I feel like we might be mentioning Amor later on. but uh... it'll, come, it'll come up later, and in terms of the Oscar chances, I, I think it, it's going to going to play pretty well i think foreign films a given i also think best actress is a strong possibility and it wouldn't surprise me to see it as one of the potential dark horse contenders in the bigger bigger slots especially with the the way voting works now if it shows up in best picture and maybe even best director i wouldn't necessarily be surprised i'm not saying it's going to happen but it's certainly possible i'm kind of gunning for it actually to be in the best picture and best director i would i mean i would be thrilled um, it's a movie. Yeah, I saw the movie as well, and I certainly I do like it. It's it's it is a tough watch, but uh, I, I do like that film. And yeah, I I feel like it has some pretty good Oscar chances. Um, you're, you're saying a Michael Haneke film is a tough watch? What I know. Yeah, surprising, <laughs> surprising. Yes, but, uh, it is true. It is true. I would expect nothing less. Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, those are. Uh, well, last thing, uh, iTunes reviews and ratings, always happy to get those, and, you know, we, we are, we're doing our, our big top ten episode, I mean, and we're doing it for free, so it'd be it'd be great to hear back from, from listeners. Emphasis on free. <laughs> we're providing we're it for over a year, for free. Providing the, we're providing this epic ten, top ten of the year episode, and it'd be great just to, you know, get some, get some further encouragement on iTunes, because it helps out the show, so it'd be nice to, nice to get that. Anyway, let's let's get right into it now. Let's get to our our top ten films of the year. There there mm-hmm. could be like a music cue there, but I doubt there's going to be one. I'm just going to just say it really epic like that. And then just, you never know. You never, you never know. know. Okay. All right, so let's uh let's start with Mark. Mark Hoban. What is your number ten film of 2012? So my number ten film is The Intouchables, and this was a, a French film about uh, two guys, uh, one being a paraplegic. And then the other guy is someone that he hires in order to take care of him. And what I really loved about this film is that it was the chemistry between the two leads. And I really think this kind of theme that it explores is the kind of thing that we've seen in other movies before. And sometimes it's handled a little bit more cliched. And I really feel like this film handled the interplay between these two guys. Um, they come from different classes and, and they're sort of different uh, you know, uh, social uh, one's very wealthy, the other's not so wealthy, and it, it plays with these kinds of ideas. I think it did it in a really kind of original way, and I was really surprised at how much I really warmed up to this picture. So I really enjoyed it, and it it didn't do a whole lot of business in the U.S. However, it is one of the biggest hits ever in uh, French history. Um, it it actually made over four hundred million dollars in the rest of the world. Wow. So. It's a, it's a huge worldwide. It's a huge hit, but in the U.S., n- not not quite as uh, as well known. 
yeah, it, it is like, yeah, I think it is actually the biggest film from France, like ever. And it's, yeah, it certainly, certainly made a splash over there and it did, it did what it did over here too. I mean, it didn't like, you know, set the box office on fire, but it certainly made an impact. I, um, I've seen that film as well. I'm not as quite as fond of it as you, but I certainly, I can see where the appreciation comes from. And, uh, Certainly, good good performances. I do like the uh, the actors in that movie. Yeah, the uh, the guy uh, that plays the sort of uh, gentleman from the streets that becomes this sort of like he's sort of like almost a, a caretaker for him. His name is Omar Sy, and he actually won the César Award for Best Actor, beating Jean Desjardins last year. Um, so that was that's pretty impressive too, because I thought I mean Jean Desjardins won you know the Academy Award, but anyway. Uh, it does speak to the performances. I think they're they're quite good and, and definitely something um, worth checking out. Cool. All right, so let's move on to Jordan. What is your number ten film of two thousand and twelve? Uh, Lincoln. All right. Yeah, I think it's um, it's one of my favorite Spielberg films and one of my favorite biopics. Um, of, of all time, really. And and I think where most biopics kind of fail, where they try to cram so much in, I think the brilliance in this film is that it only covers, like, the last, like, three months of his life and and uh, the fight to pass the amendment. And I, I just think it's um, everybody at, at their finest. And that's Spielberg, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, the screenplay is magnificent. The cinematography is... Is beautiful. I, I I think it's a fantastic film. Yeah, Lincoln. I just actually saw again the other day, just because you know why not. And um, <laughs> I had the time, and so um, that, that I had three hours to spare. Yeah, that that Daniel Day performance. It's, it's like almost a given. It's like yeah, he did a great job. So like, why even talk about him anymore? But um, but even like Tommy Lee Jones. No, that's what I was gonna say. I really love that Tommy Lee Jones performance. Just knocks it out of the park. I think he's really fantastic in, in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Sally Field in it too, actually. I thought she was really good. Yeah, and my my favorite performance in the movie is James Spader. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just wildly, wildly entertaining in that movie. It was. He gives he, shot at. he gives a great look to Walton Goggins' character in that movie that kind of is amazing when it when you see Walton Goggins' face and as the reaction of like he And what's sublime <laughs> facial hair across the board from everyone? I mean, that's a great, great mustache and beard movie. Oh yeah, I named it. It took the crown from True Grit as the best facial hair mustache movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrific stuff. Yeah. Maxwell, what is your number ten movie of two thousand twelve? Okay. My number ten movie of two thousand and twelve is The Cabin in the Woods. Hey. Um, which I'll admit to uh having a certain Joss Whedon bias. I grew up as a and still am a massive Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, but uh as a horror film fan as well, I thought it was a really, really clever and impressive um deconstruction of the tropes of the genre presented with great wit and some really clever layers, um, while also managing to work as just, you know, a genuinely awesome horror movie with, um, you know, some amazing gory scenes and a great uh, cinematic stoner character portrayed by (laughs) Bran Kranz, who I just thought was awesome in the movie. Um, It's, you know, it's a fun choice, to be sure. It's not necessarily high art, but at the same time, I think it does have a lot to say about the way uh, the relationship develops between the audience and the filmmakers and that sort of unspoken bond that's there. So it, it rises above, for sure. 
Nice, yeah. That's a that's a good one. Um, Abe, what is your two thousand number ten for two thousand twelve? I'm echoing Maxwell there, Cabin in the Woods, Ayo. and uh, yeah, it's uh, in terms of just pure enjoyment of a movie. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is really up there for me, and uh, that's primarily because you think everything's okay and it's kind of winding down, and the third act just kind of like goes balls out, and I had a great time. I especially had a great time when the uh, the title of the movie shows up. And it's just out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just Bradley Cooper and Richard Jenkins riding in a in a, in a little cart <laughs> talking about work, and then Bradley uh, Bradley Whitford. Bradley, yeah, I'm sorry. Bradley Cooper is a <laughs> sexiest man alive. He's too he's too pretty for Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I do echo the sentiments of yeah, not the greatest in terms of like art quality, but there's a lot that you can take out of it, and you know, just thinking about Texas Chainsaw 3D right now, it's like. Why would I watch that when I get to watch Cabin in the Woods? Something I'll be hopefully doing soon again to wash out Texas Chainsaw 3D. My uh, number 10 of 2012 is The Raid Redemption. Uh, this is the uh, Indonesian action film made by the Welsh director, Gareth Evans. And um, it was that, the movie, what, it's what I consider the best action movie of the year. And it's just, it's it's relentless and exhausting to watch because of just how... <laughs> insane some of the action is in this movie and it's such like it's not just like an action movie it almost it plays like a horror movie to an extent it's like just a thriller. Like, yeah like yeah like an intense thriller of these guys trying to get out of an impossible situation as they've as a special special unit team has raided this kind of apartment building that's filled with that's led by a drug lord and he has all these henchmen and all these different apartment building or rooms within the building and they just kind of attack this unit and they they're trying to just get out alive and just there's so much i, I just love a lot of the creativity of the action i've watched the movie several times by at this point and it, it just it continues to astound me of how much fun i have watching this movie despite being just on the edge of my seat the entire time cool all right, so I guess we'll get to uh, number nine. Hopefully Alan will join us soon. Um, number nine film, Mark Hoven. What is your number nine? So my number nine was Looper. And I think what I really loved about this film is the first half is very much like a sci-fi film, and it has the sort of complexities of time travel and that sort of thing. Um, and then the second half actually kind of surprisingly develops into this almost character-based drama yeah. uh, that involves Emily Blunt and, and her uh, son and and their relationship to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and I really like that and I actually it was so surprising and it was emotionally affecting as well as a kind of an exciting and well-paced action film so it was kind of like the best of all worlds and I, I thought it was act, acted beautifully by the entire cast and uh, I really thought it was a, a fun ride so I, I enjoyed it a lot. Are you a fan of, uh, of the other Ryan Johnson filmography? Oh okay. yeah, Brick. Yeah, Brick Love yeah. Brick. Uh, yeah. Brothers yeah. Bloom and Brothers Bloom. Brothers Bloom mm. also very good. The as Brothers well. Bloom. I mean, I, I liked it fine. Not not as crazy about that, but Brick was one of my favorite films of that yeah. year, actually. So For sure, that was yeah. Like, great. Yeah. All right, um, <clears throat> Jordan. What is your number nine film? The Raid. Uh, it's a shame that this really didn't get a huge release because this is like the ultimate audience picture. Like it's, it's a film that like demands to be seen with like a crowd of people who are going to like cheer for every punch and kick and like knife stab or machete stab. Cause it's amazing. And, um, 
despite the fact that they added that stupid uh, subtitle redemption, right. like it is like the most, like you said, like exhilarating and exhausting film of the year. Like by the end of it, like you feel like you've been through every single story with with the uh, with the main characters. My uh, my friend said he was, my, my friend said he was sweating after a certain action sequence <laughs> in that movie. Like he just looked over, and he's like, "I'm sweating." He's like, "Why is it so humid in here?" <laughs> yeah, it's it's so inventive and and the choreography absolutely yeah, the choreography is unbeatable, incredible. Yeah, uh, Maxwell, what is your number nine film? Uh, okay, my number nine film, much like Mr. Hoban, is Looper. Um, I don't have too much to add uh, on top of what Mark already very uh, elegantly and articulately <laughs> said about the film. But what I well, would like you. to say, um, you're welcome, is that I think Ryan Johnson is a tremendous talent. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of what I think he's going to achieve. Um, you know, he's done some excellent work directing episodes of Breaking Bad. Um, and his both his screenplay and especially his direction in this film I think is incredible. There's some really great just like classic formalistic um, uses of of shots and framing like there's this one montage in the middle of the film that just every time I watch it takes my breath away with how well composed it is. So it's just a delight across the board. I have a feeling I know what that scene is but don't want to go into detail. All right, well, let's go into detail on your number nine film of the year. Eh? The Raid! <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> in terms of uh, sheer fun, this is another one of those movies. And it's like, uh, I I would especially encourage people to see this with like group, a group of people because it is one of those films where it's not overly stupid, even though it's overly like stylized. Um and, yeah, sure, he could pick up a machete here and there on the ground, but he doesn't for some strange reason. But overall, I mean, there are some scenes in here where I am I actually, like, led cheers in the theater, and then people were just following along. It was, it was great. It's like, a fun feature to watch. And made for a very small budget, I might add. Yeah, under a million. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> um, okay, my... <laughs> Sorry, I, I I apologize. I just um, I'm, I'm aware yeah, that you yeah, and Mark I, don't like yeah. Ray very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I have to say, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my mouth shut. It's okay. So no, no respect. This is. This, feel free to express your opinions. This is the top <laughs> ten of the year. There's, there's no boundary. Yeah, yeah. You're going on and on about how much you love it, so I, I sort of want to respect. Oh that. yeah. But uh, I mean, there's there's certain things. If you're talking about like making sense i mean they attack one at a time like they line up and one after another like why don't they just all attack at once and i don't know there's just things about it and i don't think it to me it wasn't that innovative i think i've seen action films like this it definitely was relentless i get that and it was it was a lot of bang for your buck and to be honest i did enjoy the soundtrack a lot and i was kind of pumped while the soundtrack was like you know if you blast the music and you watch it it is kind of a visceral high but I didn't, I don't know, maybe I was intellectualizing the film too much. Having just watched it, they certainly don't line up in a line to fight one-on-one. They they do attack him all at once. It gets pretty intense with how just the, the volume of people involved in some fight scenes. But what what I will say is that I think, is his name Joe Talisman? 
um, the the star of the film is awesome, and I think it's very cool that he's been cast in Fast and the Furious Six. Oh, the Raid. Yeah. Uh, no, that's the sergeant. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Iko Uwe is, is the is uh, the main character, oh, but well, but Joe is like yeah. the sergeant. Someone in that movie. Yeah. Anyways. Cool. All right. <clears throat> uh, moving on to my number. Where is it? Number nine film of the year. Um, I have Moonrise Kingdom here. And uh, this is the film from Wes Anderson, which is just delightful. And um, I, I really enjoy this film. And I feel like if I, we, I, I tend to watch Wes Anderson films quite a bit anyway, because I just am a fan of the man. And I have a feeling that if, if I watch Moonrise more, it probably would like end up higher on my list in like a retrospective kind of like, huh? I wonder if I would have put this higher. Um, as but as of now, I still do. I mean, it is on my top ten, so it's certainly not taking too much away from it. I mean, the, mo- the majority of this list, is the, these are pretty much interchangeable films in terms of just how good they are. And Moonrise, <clears throat> I uh, really enjoy this movie just for the the story it presents between the two kids and then just all these adult characters played by actors that I really enjoy watching on screen. And I don't want to go too much into it because I feel like Moonrise is probably going to come up again for some others. But I, I do want to stick up for uh, Bruce Willis in this movie because I think he's really understated and really good and he's not going to be recognized come award season well we are in award season he's not going to be recognized for his work here but i really like his performance in this movie agreed okay uh mark what is your number eight film so um my number eight film is les miserables (laughs) and i don't know if i'm probably not going to get a whole lot of support on this one but from this group but i love (laughs) this film i i really thought that it was a throwback to like classic Hollywood filmmaking at its most epic and it was grand and I liked the choices that Tom Hooper did uh, director I I think he did film in close-up and I like that it is a movie and I think that actually provides a greater intimacy with the characters I mean to be honest I love the play as it is so I really didn't think as long as you're presenting the source material as it's you know written I think it's for me it would be a slam dunk because I already like this material. Um and then Hugh Jackman I think is extraordinary. If if it were up to me I would actually give him the Academy Award for best actor. I don't think that's going to happen but I I think he he's definitely worthy of it. Um I think he's fantastic as far as an actor is concerned and as a singer. And really on all the way down, uh, even Russell Crowe, I, I give that his singing is not at the level of the other actors. However, I think his acting ability is right. and his uh, emotional component that he brings to the part got me. So I, I, I did. I really enjoyed the film a lot. So I put it at number eight. I, I certainly think Hugh Jackman is very good in this movie and at Hathaway as well. Like the cast in general, like I like but, right, and, Samantha Barks. Too. Samantha, yeah, Samantha Barks. Stephanie. I love her. Samantha Barks is exceptional. Yes. yes. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, she broke my heart in that movie. So. All right, uh, Jordan, your number eight film. Clown. Ooh, oh. seen this I, with I've a seen K. Clown. Yes, yes. I think this is the funniest film of the year. Uh, no film made me laugh more than this film. I wish I would have seen this with an audience because this is the. I agree. Comedy version of The Raid, almost. <laughs> it, it really should be seen with an audience because there are so many just shocking moments in the film that I, 
I, they're, they're remaking it in America, and I don't know how. Like, I can't imagine that half, like especially the very last scene in the movie, like that would never pass the it, the ratings boards. It's like a, it's like a Hangover type sequence. That last sequence, like the clown, <laughs> clown is like a. What is it? Nor is it Norwegian or Swedish? I, yeah, I think it's Norwegian. Norwegian. I could be wrong. I think it's Norwegian. It's Norwegian raunchy comedy involving two guys that go on this this camping trip and they they basically kidnap <laughs> a child for to prove that he can be a good a, father, a figure. proper father figure. <laughs> yeah, and the movie is incredibly raunchy. It's very. It, it, it's it, also oddly sweet. Like it. It, yeah, it does have a, a sweetness to it, which makes it like likable in a way. But it's, like, it's raunchier than any Hangover or Twenty One Jump Street or Ted. But it's also a hell of a lot sweeter than those movies too. Like oddly enough, <laughs> and it has like a curb your enthusiasm style of awkward comedy mm. that really mm-hmm. pays off quite a bit throughout the movie. <laughs> I saw this one after I made my top ten list, and it's certainly well, it's in my honorable mentions now, just because I can't really alter anything. But yeah, that's a funny movie. <laughs> No, I, I like this because I have never heard of this film, so I'm. It's on I, a Netflix. Instant. Yeah, it's on. It's, yeah, on, yeah. It's, on, it's on Instant Watch on Netflix for everybody no, listening. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's spelled a clown with a K. But um, what I think is cool about it too is that it's distributed by in the states by the guys of um, the Alamo. Oh, nice! Yes. Miami connection. <laughs> and I, I really like that that this company is sort of expanding to you know celebrate not only like the highest um, quality of cinemas that they have in Texas and are now expanding into California and New York, but also are now distributing these small films. It, it's really um, a great company they have there. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. And if you go to the theaters, they're very nice theaters, and you get like it's almost full service food and drinks there. And that's the plug for the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, you should contact them before you broadcast this episode. See if they'll support it. All right, uh, Maxwell, what is your number eight film for 2012? Okay, um, my number eight film of the year is one that I like for similar reasons that um, Mark likes Les Mis and also I think received a similarly mixed reception, and that is Cloud Atlas. Um, it's this big, admittedly messy, bold, ambitious epic that has, on the one hand, a really old-fashioned sense of scale and hope and optimism, and on the other hand, kind of, um, you know, breaks some new ground, I think, not only because it deals in some science fiction, but in the way it, it presents its ideas and uses three directors working simultaneously and on different, um, different uh sort of aspects of the film um it just you know it's kind of an overwhelming experience like on the one hand i'm able to recognize its many flaws and on the other hand i don't care because it just moved me so deeply um and i think uh duna bay and ben wishaw deliver two of the most um unsung and heartfelt supporting performances of the year in this film i, I certainly liked uh i forget what the name of the director is who directed like the ben Tom yeah, Schindler. especially like his stuff more than the uh, Wachowski siblings. Uh, so I, I do agree with some of the uh, directing there, but yeah, it was mixed on when we reviewed it as well. The um, this is a film that I, I struggled to put on my top ten list. I was really close to doing it actually, but I do admire a lot of the film for sure, and uh, the 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 kind of the ambition is something I, I really enjoyed, and just the general kind of 
the editing is something that I was really fond of just because I felt like the film could have been a huge narrative mess. And my biggest surprise was the fact that it wasn't, I was able to, despite other issues I had with the film, I was able to follow it quite clearly and will probably continue to enjoy it on repeat viewing just because of how many kind of, you know, different connections that you can make because as Abe knows, everything is connected. We try to cloud, we try to cloud Atlas everything. Yeah. Unless we unchain it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Abe, what is, what is your number eight film for 2012? The Gray. Um, this is a movie that came out like really early 2012. It came out in January 2012. January. And uh, I remember when we reviewed it, we were like, why did this not come out like in December so that Liam Neeson can get an Oscar nomination? Because uh, he's fantastic in it. And also, it was one of those films where I walked out of it very quiet because I was I was thinking about a lot of the metaphors that the film was presenting. Obviously, uh, I forget who directs it. But Joe yeah, Joe Carnahan. I mean, he's he's known for like embellishing some stuff and pulling some, you know, hiring or asking like the the music director to pull some higher chords during certain scenes. But I, I found the poem to be effective. I found the music to be fantastic. Um, again, I, I thought a lot about what the wolves meant, and I wasn't ultra disappointed by the the lack of wolf fights and broken bottles, uh, primarily because I expected that going in, and then when I saw the film. It was something more than I expected, uh, which is unlike Flight, uh, which I wasn't super high on. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed this film. Really decided to disparage another film to praise one, but not <laughs> <laughs> quite that necessary. I'm sorry, Denzel. <laughs> it's all right. I, I was going to just add, and, and I like them both, but uh, this had my second favorite uh, plane crash of yes. the year. And it, it, yeah. it, is, it is a pretty exciting plane crash. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of the plane crash movie. I was actually thinking when I was writing my review for, well, Flight and The Gray, like of all the films, I was thinking of like Fearless and Hero and all these films of the past. There's a, like, there's definitely a little collection of films that Castaway. like present film crashes and kind of. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, plane crashes. Castaway is another good one too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Mecca's in plane crashes, but, uh... <laughs> and I think Con Air has one too. Oh yeah. Con Air is just uh, a great plane movie, period. Yeah, I mean, that's, yes. yeah, among the best airplane movies of all time, <laughs> Con Air and Airplane are right at the top of the list. <laughs> back, back to back. It makes me happy to see um, the gray on your list because, you know, it just, just missed mine, and I really love it and think it deserves a lot of respect and admiration and deserves to be taken more seriously than its release right. date and subject matter suggest. It's a really poetic and, and, and kind of harrowing experience. Did you say taken? Um. <laughs> no. It, it should not be uttered in the same sentence, which I think a lot of people was expecting when they went to go see it. Well, yeah, uh, Liam Neeson impersonation? I don't. I can't do it twice. That's just, it's going to make me crack up too much. Um, anyway, uh, getting to my number... <laughs> Sorry, getting to my number eight film. Uh, my number eight is Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Ooh. And um, this is the film starring Steve Carell and Keira Knightley about literally the world is coming to an end. Basically, whatever mission that Robert Duvall, Bruce Willis, and anyone else that ever saved the world were on failed this time <laughs> around. And so a meteor is going to crash into the world and destroy it. So Steve Carell and Keira Knightley end up going on a road trip. Um, and got various, various things happen. This movie... I I can see why it has a mixed reception. I can see why, and it came out at a very specific time for me, which I don't feel like getting into. But I was very much like this is what I liked about it is ex- it's exactly the movie that I wanted when when I went into it. It's, it's the movie that I wanted to see, and I was very happy because of it. I think I think that Carell and Knightley are very good in this movie. I the premise 
it's a it's a really neat premise, and I like the way it plays out. I can see there are certainly flaws I can see within the structure of the movie, but it's kind of it it got it got to me in a very emotional sort of way where I, I I was able to look past certain things just because I was into what the movie was showing me and what where how I came out of it. And so I I really really love Seeking a Prime for the End of the World. I'm really happy to have included it on my top ten cool. list. I haven't even seen this movie, but I really love the fact that you put this on your list because I think it's kind of an unexpected. This is not a film that I've seen on too many people's year-end lists, so I, I kind of like the fact that it's sort of uh, not your you know expected choice. Yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, yeah, it almost made mine. I, I loved it. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope, I hope I hope you enjoy it, Mark. I do. I do think it's a. I also really liked it a lot as well. It made me cry and cry and and then cry again. Yeah, it's. Uh... Got me there too, and I just I want to also shout out a friend of the show, uh, Gerard Uribe, who writes at WhysoBlue.com. He also included this film on his list, uh, among many other films that I quite enjoy. And uh, yeah, we'll probably I'll probably put a link to our all the WhysoBlue top ten list as well because we all had a fun time putting those together. Um, all right, so joining us now we have Alan Aguilera. Hey everybody. And uh, Alan, we're at our number eight pick for the uh, top ten 2012. So why don't you go through your ten through nine, ten nine eight, really, really, really quick, right? Here. Okay. My number 10 film of the year was Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson film. Okay, yeah. Number 9 was Ben Affleck's Argo. And number 8 is uh, Skyfall. Skyfall. You want to talk about Skyfall? Yeah, you know, I'm not a big James Bond fan, but um, I've only seen GoldenEye and then a few of the Sean Connery ones, and then I watched Casino Royale. I liked that a lot. Didn't really like Quantum of Solace, but I don't think that many people did. And then Skyfall was just really, really impressive, and I like what... Mittens did with it and it looked beautiful mostly. I thought it was like probably the prettiest film I've seen this year. Uh, and the action sequences were great, and I just I really kind of liked what was going on. So um, the action, like, I was left in awe for some of the sequences. There's a scene where there's a fist fight in um, a skyscraper, and it's all like windows and mirrors and stuff. It's pretty pretty cool. And then I liked, um, I just I really liked Javier Bardem as the villain. Uh, the addition of Ray Fiennes. And the new edition of Q, I forget the actor's name, but I thought it started to feel ben like... Wisha. Ben Wisha. Yeah. Ben Wisha. Um, yeah, his name sounds like a like a Polish ghetto. Um, <laughs> so I was a big fan. I, I think that's why I liked him so much. So I, just, I really enjoyed the film, and I was very entertained by it, and out of a lot of the big spectacle films this year. That was just a, a nice welcome treat, because I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. Yeah, that uh, <clears throat> that's uh, certainly a, a, a really strong entry in the James Bond canon for sure. Very energy, very enjoyable, and very beautiful to look at. Man, that's a, just a great work by uh, what's his name, uh, Robert uh, Ellsworth. Roger, 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 Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins. Yeah, Roger. Oh, Deakins. yeah, it was. Sorry. I, I would, I would, I'm gonna, I'm putting, mo- I would put money down on it being a surprise. Uh, Oscar contender uh, next week when the nominations are announced. I think Javier Bardem's getting that nomination. I do. For a supporting actor. Yeah, I, I'm I'm banking on that. You know, any other year when it wasn't when it isn't such a strong year for best supporting actors, I'd probably believe it. But maybe I mean, you know what? You might be right. You might be right. He got the SAG nomination. The film was on the PGA list. I don't know. We'll see. But it wouldn't surprise me. That's for sure. It is a really strong year for supporting actor, actually. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. It's well, the toughest category. The thing with the SAG thing, um, what I found interesting was. They, like I think Javier Bardem has either Leo's part or like because I don't think Django really got anything right or got anything at all. 
Yeah, I heard they hadn't received um, screeners of yeah, Django in yeah. time because they that movie was finished close to the to release. Yeah, so I I think that maybe Javier Bardem and a lot of the other acting noms may change when like for Oscars and stuff because Django would actually be out and voters have seen it already. Oh. So, we'll know uh, soon enough. Yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, so let's get to our number sevens now. Num- m- number Mark. Mark, Hoban, what is your number seven <laughs> number film? Mark. Number Mark. What is your number seven film for... So my number seven was Paranorman. And nice! <laughs> this was such a sweet uh, animated film. It, it was my favorite animated film of the year. And I liked it because it has this kind of subversive edge. I mean, it's it's a... Definitely kids can enjoy it, but it has sort of a... a I don't know. It has kind of this, like... Feel, it very much reminds me of like how Rango was the year before. It it's definitely something that adults can appreciate, and it's really well written, beautifully animated, and it's just a really uh, fun time. I really liked it. And this wasn't. I don't think this was the greatest year for animated films. There definitely were some good ones, um, but out of all of them, I, I enjoyed Wreck It Ralph quite a bit too. But uh, Paranorman I, I, was definitely my favorite of the year, and I, I think it. it it ranks up there with some of the best animated films that I've seen of the last, you know, uh, 20 years. That's a, sure. that's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to go to Alan now and just insert him into this. Alan, what's your number seven film for the year? Uh-oh. Well, my number seven... Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, my number seven film of the year was Ryan Johnson's Looper. Um, I'm a big fan of Ryan Johnson. I love his work. I uh, was a big fan of Brick, and Brothers Bloom was one of my favorite movies of the year when it came out. For a long time, it was probably going to be my number one, and then Inglourious Bastards came out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> being <laughs> <that out. laughs> Alan keeps us on our toes when he joins in these reports. I do, I do. I, 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 make, I make Abe's job very, very, very difficult. <laughs> well, that's staying in there. That's staying in there. Oh, good. Let's do it. I don't. That's fine. Um, no, I really like Super. Um my friend, uh, one of my friends and I were having a discussion about it where there's a scene where Bruce Willis is going after children because he wants to, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a scene that has gun violence towards a child. And I think that this year was the only year this film could be made because I don't think that film, like Looper couldn't come out this year because of what happened with in Connecticut. So I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about Looper. I just watched it again the other day and it was, it moved up two spots more because I kind of really like it because it's it's a smart science fiction film that I think we're going to start seeing a lot more with people. It's completely an original idea. Um, the acting was great from Joseph Gordon-Levitt because he actually he actually like sounded like Bruce Willis, and I thought it just kind of worked, and I kind of believed it, and I thought the makeup was kind of weird at first, but then in the film you don't really notice it. I also think that Emily Blunt did a great job um, as a nice supporting role for her, and a lot of the cool, like, um, there's a lot of little cameos from different actors, and Garrett Delahunt, like, right around the end of Act 2, <laughs> I liked his, I really did, because he was kind of, he's a familiar face, but he's always, like, a nice guy, like, in Raising Hope or No Country, but in this one, he kind of started off where you don't really know what he's going to do and what he's capable of, and kind of how that scene progresses, progresses, and how good it gets towards the end, like it's a real nail biter, and I think that Ryan Johnson is develop- developing himself into a much better director than a lot of people are thinking, and I think he's going to move on to bigger and better and greater things. And Looper is just a nice stepping stone. It's almost like you're about to see a guy who's about to blow up. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I like, and it's going to blow up. 
I think you're totally agree, and and I like the fact that Ryan Johnson. I I believe he's done three movies, and both the Brothers Bloom and Brick were kind of little tiny independent modest successes, and comparatively, Looper was a pretty pretty good success. So yeah, it, it looks like he's kind of on the verge of, you know, major success. I think. Yeah. Yeah, Looper was. And, successful and you know critically successful and Alan you mentioned the fact that you think you think more films that are you know smarter will come out and I I mean I'm always hesitant to say that Hollywood's gonna learn this giant lesson it's have original movies only but with the with Looper being you know fairly successful I, I I would hope that you know there's more more effort placed in the idea of hey we could actually fund these original films because people want to see them well, yeah and a lot yeah. of so, allow me just to echo the praise of Garrett Dillahunt. I mean, he is anytime he shows up in something, he's always just excellent, and 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 is kind of just blends right into the world of whatever that is. From his multiple roles he played on Deadwood to now in Looper, he's excellent. And Jeff Daniels is obviously fantastic in it too. I think it's one of the best ensemble casts of the year as well. I think he, he, like, thinking about it, like, he really did put together a great, great cast. And it's just, like, Paul Dano is even pretty good in it. Yeah. I'm like, good job, Paul Dano. That is saying um, something, because I'm not a big Paul Dano fan. <laughs> I was even yeah, I just guessed two good roles in him, and he already used it up. So yeah. we'll see what he does next. All right. Let's, uh, Jordan, what is your number seven film for, uh... The Cabin in the Woods. Whoa! Whoa! Guys, this has a unicorn killing a man. This is amazing. <laughs> I think it says that on the back of the box. Yeah, it, it, it's on the front cover. It's, that's my pull quote. I think it is on the front cover because that front cover spoils the movie and the blue. Yeah, if you have yeah, that. It, does. it actually does not have the unicorn, yeah. but it has the merman, and that's what's important. Okay. Um, no, this this is a, a masterpiece. I think of uh, of, of not only like horror film, but just film in general, like the um, the deconstruction of it, and I, I think it's something where. Like, I've seen it, like, five times now, and each time I find something new, I'm like, oh, I've never seen that before. And it really does hold up on repeat viewings, which is something so many films just just don't do. Um, it's still, like, exhilarating, and um, and, and it retains, like, the, the punch, like, especially, like, the last act. Possibly the greatest third act of any horror film. So, yeah, love it. Go buy it if you haven't. Maxwell, what is your uh, number seven film? Okay, my uh, my number seven film is Lincoln. Um, it was discussed and mentioned previously. Um, you know, and, and really with this, I think every aspect or element you would expect to be good is, is just a, even a little bit better. I mean, Spielberg uh, exhibits, you know, great intimacy and restraint, which kind of goes against... Um, some of the more recent films he had made leading up to this, Daniel Day-Lewis is, he defies any sort of rational articulation as to how superb he is, but I think the greatest thing about this film is Tony Kushner's screenplay, which is just, you know, not only efficient and, and, and so, you know, literary, but really, really funny, too. Like, I, yeah. I can't stress enough how much I laughed in Lincoln because of the, you know, wide array of supporting characters and this, this great, you know, poetic dialogue they have. It's just, it's just, as a fan of language, the language on display in Lincoln is exemplary. Yeah, we've uh, talked about Lincoln already once, and yeah, the, my thoughts remain the same, obviously. I mean, it's a 
is the, the the acting from a lot of people in that film is just pretty fantastic. I, I really like the performances and just kind of the the uh, political atmosphere that it it brings in for a film of that, of that time period for sure. Definitely one of the best ensemble casts of the year. Yeah, but and just it's certainly a film that seems like it just took in everybody it could, uh, along with you know Argo and Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, these movies just like everyone seemed to be employed this holiday season when it came yeah. to yeah, being casted. <laughs> there is no question about that. Um, Even Mark Duplass was employed this holiday season. Yeah. <laughs> he really was. He's been employed all year, it seems. Like. Yeah, all year. Look at his year. Year. <laughs> yeah. He's a busy body. Yeah. The, the more the more he's employed, the better, I say. Absolutely, I agree with that. My um, number seven film is actually Cabin in the Woods as well. Um, yes. Cabin in the Woods. This Wait, one... is there like a special noise or something when like, one of us has the same number one or like the same number? Like, yeah. No, George just gets another erection. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but, uh, another so worry. Hey, they're coming. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, this movie is so, it's not, it's just, it's a lot of fun, but it's just, I love how, like, it's, cl- it's very clever in what it's doing, and just the, the way it kind of just bends the horror genre on its head and just t- takes it apart and, like, allows you to, to both, you know, see that horror movie that you, you know, kind of want to see, but also, somewhat feel bad about seeing wanting to see that horror movie and then get like pushed even further by delving you deeper into where horror movies can go and giving you this kind of limitless possibility of what they can be and just deconstructing all of that. It's just, I really, it's like this, it's literally an essay come to life on like what modern horror is. And that was successfully seen on screen in just a way that I, I, I really enjoyed seeing and I, I can't wait to watch it again and again after that. And uh, yeah, just lots of lots of love for Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Abe, what is your number seven film? My number seven film is Moonrise Kingdom, and we've talked about it before. And I just want to echo all the sentiments. I especially liked the music music from Alexander Desplat, or however you pronounce his name. Um, I particularly found that one particular scene uh, where I didn't think Wes Anderson was going to make the kids go, he made them go, and I was like, oh, good for him. And I'm talking about when, you know, Sam touches her boob. And I like when, how Abe hints at what the scene is. And then <laughs> well, I didn't want to leave anyone in suspense. I feel like we kind of knew, but no no room for subtlety when it comes to Abe who was picks, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, uh, everyone did a very good job. Uh, I especially liked Bruce Willis as well as, like, this quirky sheriff who wears high water pants um, and he like is basically the old version of Sam and he wants to change that and you know follow Sam's lead so it was very good I I, I enjoyed it a lot but I enjoy a lot of Wes Anderson films in general he's also the old version of Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> which we'll I'll get to later <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah Moonrise quite good uh, Mark Hoban what is your number six film for 2012 uh, my number six is Life of Pi, and what I really loved about this film is that there's this sort of quiet beauty in just simply existing, and it's it's very um, it's it's it sort of explores themes of existentialism and and spirituality, but in kind of a very poetic and like non hit you over the head way. And I thought it was it was beautifully set up the way we were introduced to this character in the beginning. And we really grow to love him. And then 
what happens to him and the boat and then his uh, existing with the animal on the boat, I thought I, I really liked the way it played out. And, you know, it, they, a lot has been made of this book being almost impossible to film. I have not read the book, but if it's impossible to film, then more power to Ang Lee because I think he nailed it. He, he really he conveyed all of those sort of supposed, supposedly subtle themes in the book as a movie, and I, I think it was like a painting come to life. And if we're talking about 3D, I, I'm not a big fan of 3D, but here is an example of one movie that I will put my stamp of approval that, yes, go see it in 3D. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. The 3D in this film is quite good. The Describing it as a painting come to life, that's another apt description as well. I really love the cinematography in this movie. Between this and Skyfall, it's tough to choose, among other films that are also equally just great to look at. But yeah, this was a film that I... Uh, the. I think it's because I have a lot of admiration for the, you know, the, the mid-section of the film. I, I, I was very close to putting this on my top ten as well, but it's mainly just because I, I like the mid-section more than the entire film as a whole, that it kind of just missed getting in, in there. But yeah, certainly... One that I, Did you, would you say you had to C-section it out of your top ten? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I had to Prometheus it out of my top ten. Oh. Uh, Alan Aguilera, what is your number six film for 2012? Well, my number six film is probably one of the best um, art house films I've seen in a long time. It kind of ran the gamut of emotions. I was devastated at one point. I was almost on verge of tears, but I was also exhilarated. And it's uh, Disney's Wreck-It Ralph. Okay. Very cool. I thought you were going to say the raid. I was. I thought you were going to say the FP. <laughs> uh, I was going to say um, that's what she said, but you know, I didn't see it. Uh, no, um, Wreck-It Ralph. I just thought was really fun, and I thought that this is the one year that Disney actually put out a better film than Pixar did in regards to animation and in regards to just how good it was. I really enjoyed this film. I was amped to go see it because I thought it'd be a cool little like novelty to go see a bunch of video game characters and we're kind talking of talking about things yeah. I play. Yeah, oh my god, oh my god, there's, there's Zangief and there's Ryu, this is going to be great. But it was better than that. It, was, it wasn't just that. Like, the first act was mostly that, which was fine. Like, when Sonic lost his rings, I lost my shit. Uh, but, but the rest of the film just, it, it was mostly just the original characters he came up with, and I could care less about a little nods to the old video games. Um, and I thought every voice actor was great. I thought that Sarah Silverman actually could have made this very cheesy and made it very hokey, but she actually was great. I, I, I really liked her, her work in this, and I thought that she really made me care for Penelope Van whatever, Sweets Van Sweets. Anyway, it was awesome. I, I'm terrible with names, but I really liked Wreck-It Ralph, and I think it was one of um, the better films of the year uh, in general. Like, not just animated films, because I think this and Paranorman were both very, very strong animated films that came out this year, but I think that Wreck-It Ralph, to me, I, I would watch it more so than I would Paranorman. But you know, yeah, Wreck-It Ralph. That's a that's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that movie and the the characters. I love John C. Riley in this movie, like in in general. But like, just I, I really liked his work here. I'm gonna say it, Alan. I was teary too, so I'm there with you, buddy. Well, it was dusty. It was dusty in the theater. Yeah, I'm not gonna say oh, it. it was very dusty. I think this is one nice. of two, I think this is one of two great Sarah Silverman performances this year. And I'm curious if anyone else has this other film that I'm referring to on the list. I'm not gonna mention it just yet, but uh, we'll see. And if not, then I'll just kind of say it outright at the end. I, I don't think I have her at all in the rest of my top ten. Okay. Uh, I'm Jim- curious, though, which uh, movies are going to get nominated for Best Animated Film this year. And I, I do think that Paranorman and Wreck-It Ralph both 
highly deserve to be nominated. I know Brave will be nominated for sure, and I'm just curious what the other films will be nominated. I imagine Ralph probably will just because of it. It was a huge success box office wise and critically. Like it has both. It has both things there. And Brave probably will. We'll see. Is there some foreign <laughs> like, animated film? That there, there are, which is always kind of throws it up in the air for you. Yeah. So it's kind of. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know why we're really discussing it because we all know that Hotel Transylvania is just going to win. Shut up. In a sweep. Oh my god. I love that movie. No, I, I think the Lorax. I mean. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, oh, oh, okay. Let's, now, let's move on. Let's that. move on from yeah, the yeah, drudgery <laughs> films. Jordan Grout, what is your number? Oh. What is your number six film of 2012? I put Seven Psychopaths. Nice. Um. I, I thought this movie was great. It's a, kind of an odd companion piece to adaptation, um, but I, I almost prefer it over adaptation. Uh, I, I can see why it didn't do that well and why people didn't connect to it. It's, it, it is kind of all over the place, but I feel that it's confident and it has a, a grip on it, on like the odd narrative structure, and it works. And I think the cast, if, if you don't see it, you're missing out on some of, like, the best performances from the cast, like, including, like, Christopher Walken and uh, Woody Harrelson and especially Sam Rockwell, who's just having the time of his life in this role. Um, it's, it, it, it at times reminds me of um, a Shane Black movie where it'll be really violent and then the next scene is just hilarious. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's all I gotta say about it. Okay. <laughs> then let's move on to Maxwell. What's your number six, Phil? Okay. Uh, my number six uh, selection is Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, this is a film that has not really left my mind since I first saw it. And if we are talking about uh, dusty screening rooms, you know, both times I saw Beasts in theaters, the screening room was really, really dusty. Um, <laughs> you got to go to a janitor for these screenings. Yeah, you got to tell them I that. left comment cards, and, and they said, see a different film instead. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this I just think it's just this, like, really wonderful slice of kind of magical realism. Um, it almost reminds me, not that it's derivative of, but if... Miyazaki were to ever make a live action film. That's a cool thing to say. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I kind of feel like this is what it would feel like. Um, and the original score, which is co-composed by the director and writer yeah. Ben Clan and this guy Dan Romer is absolutely incredible. Um, and, and this like little six-year-old girl is just, I mean, she just knocks your heart out and then sticks it back in and then knocks it out again. It's just... Very, very wonderful and emotional film. Kills it twice, huh? Love that, uh, love that score. Love that. Yeah, the score is fantastic. Love that Kovanjane Wallace performance. Um, I love saying her name. Um, <laughs> Can you spell it? <laughs> no. Not easily. I know it starts with the Q. But I can say it, so there you go. But yeah, Maxwell, do you, do you think that uh, she will be nominated for Best Actress? She damn well two better week, be. Two weeks ago, I would have said yes. Today, I'm a little less sure. I would certainly like to see it happen, but I'm not 100% sold. Yeah, I, I'd like to see her nominated, but it seems as time passes, it, she's becoming less and less of a factor. I mean, the, yeah, the film could could end up surprising. You know, this, I think, is the most unpredictable year in some time as far as the Oscar nominations are considered. I'd agree with that. I, I think there can be a lot of surprises next week. 
Um, and hopefully there are. I mean, I always like to be kept on my toes. And like last right. year, I had a couple surprises like Gary Oldman. But, you know, this year, besides a few select people, things are, are very unpredictable. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Beast of the Southern Wild, that's a film I've called, like, the most unique film that I've seen this year, and I kind of hold, st- I, I hold that up, because it really is a, it's so interesting, and just how it's, I've, I've since seen it again as well, I had, I got to review the Blu-ray, which I was quite happy with, because now I get to own Beast of the Southern Wild, and it's, uh, yeah, quite a, quite a film, quite a, quite a, quite a film to look at, and just watch, and see, like, how it was able to be assembled, given all the, kind of, stuff that's in it, along with, you know, these great performances, the soundtrack, and everything else. Um, Abe, what is your number six film of the year? Number six, Paranorman. Uh, I especially liked Paranorman just to echo everything that Mark had said, and um, I especially liked the where it went. And I think that because it showed that kind of aggression in a child's animated film, uh, I was particularly pleased. Not because I'm a masochist or whatever, but it's just sometimes when they go there, they can make a stronger statement and. There's the two statements. One is about the bullying and just one about the horrific thing. <laughs> I like when Abe says something important, he just cuts <laughs> out of the phone call. <laughs> that seems to happen a lot when yep. we record on this podcast. I know, right? Generally Abe, too. Generally, like, yeah, yeah, Abe or you. Yeah. He's gone, so let's now we but gotta I actually wait. don't have something stupid to say. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I gotta call him back. So, yeah. Looks like I get to be on the TV talking about Texas Chainsaw tomorrow. That's gonna be something. Shut up, Jordan. Was it bad? Was it bad? It's it's god awful. Is it really? Yeah. What? What's that? Texas Chainsaw. Chainsaw? Oh, 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 my god. Yeah, read my review. I'll, it, it's better than yeah, the I movie. Ex- I would expect it to the floor. Uh, Abe, you were saying something. What was your second point that you were bringing? That's where we kind of left you. Oh, the second point was, uh, did you guys hear the point? Like, yeah, oh, you yeah. talked about bullying, and then you were going to say, well, you started the second point was, like, what happens to, uh, uh, where it goes with uh, effects of, uh, you know, abuses on children. Um, and that was, like, very pushing the envelope, and I felt that that was very bold and... I congratulate and applaud everybody that had a hand in doing it. I mean, they didn't have to go wherever they went, and you know, whenever they do, I, I always think it makes it a better film. Um, so, kudos to everybody, and also the soundtrack was fantastic. Another solid score, yeah, from John Bryan on that one. That's a... All right, my uh, number six is The Gray. Uh, this is the the nice. film. Um, I really enjoyed this movie, and it took. A long time this year for it to be unseated as my favorite movie of the year because <laughs> there's five other movies that are now in front of it. But The Gray, I, I really love Liam Neeson in this movie. And yes. I really, I mean, this won't happen, but I really wish he'd get a Best Act nomination because I think he's literally, do, I think he's doing Schindler-level work in this movie. I think he's that good. And just the way, the what he's bringing to this performance, not just his physicality, which he's, of course, made quite popular in his later years of his life, he's... Uh, He's bringing just so much more intensity from an emotional level, and you can see it in this movie. It's kind of questioning his faith and personal issues that him as a person is probably working out based on just kind of some tragic thing that's happened in his own life, and you can see it yeah, in this yeah, film. That time. Yeah, and like I just I really love that performance. I really love just this movie in general in terms of how it it 
it breaks away from being just a standard kind of hey, this is an action movie about this guy, this guy versus wolves. Instead, it's just this this meditative drama about yep. accepting death, and that it just hits me. There's like there's a couple scenes in this movie where Neeson's basically like there's one scene in this movie that takes place early on where you you barely know these people that have survived this plane crash, but Liam Neeson addresses one man and. He tells him that he's going to die. And the way he that scene is handled is just, like, a fantastic. And it just sets you up for this movie where there, people are going to die in this movie. And you really got to kind of... The, the way the way the movie handles it is just kind of kind of, kind of of amazing. And it looks great, too. Like, you got to emphasize how great the cinematography is. I, lo- I love snow in film. I am a big fan of... especially And on Blu-ray as well. Like, I love the look of, of snow and just... Oh, you should go see... Uh, or you, I'm sure you have, but Trans-Siberian. Oh, yeah. Seen, oh, yeah. Uh, Trans-Siberian. Um, let, the, let, let the Right One In is another great... I thought you were going to say uh, um, uh, Silent Hill Revelation. Fuck off, Abe. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ash in that movie. But, yeah, the, just, yeah, a lot, a lot of things about this movie I really, really love, and... Yeah, it's I I really like the gray quite a bit. Yep. Mark Hoban, what is your number five film? We're halfway done, guys. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Only an hour in. Oh, Mark Hoban, what is your number five film of 2012? So my number five film is Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, I agree with everything that Maxwell said. I love this film. Um, I think the narrative is so innovative in the way that it presents it as sort of a stream of consciousness through this uh, the eyes of this young girl and we sort of see everything that she sees and it's very innovative and it's peculiarly told it's not like you're uh, a normal kind of way that a story unfolds and uh, I just really appreciated all of that about the film and uh, I would love to see uh, her get a best actress nomination I hope she does Dwight Henry's really good in that movie too. I keep oh yeah, him. yeah. I like him as the father character. Yeah, there's one part too where he disappears, and you're just, everything is seen through her eyes, and you're not even really quite sure what happened. And then he shows up in sort of a hospital gown, and we're kind of unclear as to what we know. Some, you know, he's not well. We know that much, but we're kind of in the dark. And I kind of like that about the film. It's it doesn't spell things out. You kind of have to piece it together much in the same way that this little girl is trying to make sense of like what's happening, you know, in her world. And I, I really like that. It was a very interesting, it was a very different kind of film. Just waiting for Alan to get back. Oh, there he is. Hey. There Alan is. Who are we just, all right. That didn't happen. Um, Alan, what is your number five film for 2012? I'm on it. I get a lot of grief for this one, but it's a film I really enjoyed and it has its faults, but it's Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Oh. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm a big Alien fan. Uh, the first two really. I even like Alien 3, but um, it's got I watched the film, and I just thought, one, it was beautiful. I, the way it looked, I ended up watching it in 2D and 3D, and both versions looked great. It has a lot of problems with it. But with me, I just kind of liked the questions more than the lack of answers it provided. I kind of <laughs> liked, liked what they were doing. Now, it's not perfect. I know it's not perfect, but it's a film I, I was entertained by, a film I've seen multiple times in the theater, a film I've seen multiple times since I bought the Blu-ray. And that's kind of what I was doing with my list is just what movies do I really like that I will go back and revisit again and again. Cause I could fill up my list with a bunch of dramas that I thought were really well acted and all this other stuff. But what films do I want to keep watching? What films am I entertained by? And Prometheus is a film I'm entertained by, 
I understand that they really don't answer anything. I don't know what the engineers are, but one of the main reasons that made my top ten was because of Michael Fassbender's performance. I thought that he was fantastic. I was... I don't really know how to say it, but I was in, I was engrossed in his entire performance. Whenever he was on screen, I wanted to know what he was doing, what he was going to do next, what other choices was he going to make as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so his performance kind of singled out everything in the film that made me want to like lo- love it. Because if he wasn't in it, or if it was another actor, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. But I think that he was such a vital, vital part to this film that... He makes he makes the movie. He makes it one of my favorite movies, and I enjoy the film because of Michael Fassbender and Ridley Scott's direction. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, if people that listen to the show know that my love for Michael Fassbender is pretty strong, so I'm certainly going to support you there. <laughs> but uh, I know you're going to go somewhere else now, Eric. Is it rock solid, Aaron? Thank you, Alan. The, Thank you for going there, Alan. He is, he is rock solid in this film. But yeah, I do. I did enjoy Prometheus. I think all of uh, I know a lot of us like Prometheus quite a bit. No, I, I know Mark. No, I, Mark. I wanted to support you, uh, Alan, because I know a lot of people like criticize this film, and you shouldn't have to apologize. It is a really good film. This made my, my honorable mentions, um, which basically meant it was in, just below my top ten. And, I mean, there's this one scene where – it involves the pregnancy and they have to extract the the thing from her body that i mean i was just like i was riveted to the screen in that in that scene so i you know and i think there's lots there's several scenes in this film that definitely match that for you know drama and excitement so i i i loved it too i mean it's unfortunate that charlie theron can't turn left but besides that i do like really like this movie as well <laughs> but, and I, but honestly i figured out why she can't turn left Aaron. But yeah, no, Prometheus, very good looking film. I mean, I'd be surprised if it didn't get a visual effects nomination. I mean, the, 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 just kind of the creation of, like, I love Ridley Scott's world building is always very good. Mm-hmm. And this is certainly a good example of that. Jordan, you're on. Okay, so he builds worlds, but do you think that Ridley Scott builds in straight lines? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. What is your number five really? film for the year? Uh, The Gray? Nice. Oh, cool. um, for me, it's the most emotionally exhausting film of the year, and it deals with with death. I feel more more directly than most films have have the balls to do. Um, and even though it's one of Liam Neeson's like hands down like best performances, and he deserves a nomination. And it's a shame it didn't come out in January. Like, it's not the Liam Neeson show. Like, everyone around him, like, are fully developed characters. And the actors, like, really step up and deliver. Um, and I love, uh, 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 what's his name? Frank Grillo in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's Wait, is it Grillo? Is it Giro? Or is it Giro? It's, thank you. It's spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. <laughs> I just assume it's Grillo. But, yeah, he's about to, he's going to break out. Like, he's been in yeah, things for... Yeah, he's in Captain America. Yeah, he's going to be in the next Captain America. He's been in a few things for a while, but he's really starting to kind of get on people's radar, it seems. He was in Warrior last year as well. Yeah. yeah. He's a trainer, right. yeah. Warrior. Uh, he's in the End of Watch. Did you say that? Yeah, he's in End of Watch as right. well. Yeah. That's right. He was yeah, he great is. in End of Watch. Yeah. yeah. I really like that movie too. That's an honorable mention. That's an honorable mention of mine as well. well. Yeah, Definitely. But yeah, great film. It really does like turn you inside out and makes you feel just just drained by the end of it. Yeah. That scene of like 
a certain character dies who's so close to, like, Liam Neeson being able to save. And then yeah. after that, like, Liam Neeson just starts shouting at God. And it's just like, yeah, that, this movie's that was, fantastic. Yeah, that was powerful. Oh, yeah. my God. All right. Yeah, it's hard not to not to cry. Well, speaking of crying, Maxwell, what's your uh, number five film of the year? Yeah, speaking of crying, uh, my number five film is Michael Haneke's Amour. Um, there are a wide variety of ways that filmmakers attempt to deal in realism. Um, one of the more popular ways recently is, you know, sort of this gritty, shaky cam um, type of approach. But what Michael Haneke has always done, and I think has done to perhaps best effect in a more, is the exact opposite. This is a film that is framed with complete stillness and moments that uh, are allowed to linger on longer than most filmmakers would allow them to, which makes for this really sobering um, mood throughout the film. You know, this is another film that, like, the the great deals with death, with a, you know, a different spin on it. This is the death of old age. Um, and you watch this couple um, kind of slowly deteriorate, and it just breaks your heart. Um, the performances are both, um, especially Emmanuel Riva, are, are just stunning. They're fearless. They just go for broke. It's just a beautiful, beautiful film. And this is a good example of how sometimes the best direction is certainly not the showiest because Michael Haneke's movie, like, the, there's certainly a lot of, you know, cuts in the movie, but it really does feel like it's a very kind of closed off, but like it's very, you're you're in like almost like one, I think you're practically in like one location for almost the entire film. I think there's only a few instances where you're kind of away from the area, but like it's, it's shot where it feels like just like a lot of extended scenes one after the other, and it's very effective because of that. And it's, I guess it's minimalistic style. Uh, Abe. Um, yes. So I want to ask you number five film. I want to say right now, I don't know anybody else's top ten list besides Maxwell's. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm very, I'm continuing to be surprised by what people have as their choices. Abe, I, I see these movies that you've listed so far, so I'm very curious as to where your list is going. So I, I have an idea of certain things, but at the same time, I'm like, well, he's exhausted some of the ones that I figured would be on this list, so... I'm excited to see where my co-host is going to pick for his number five film of 2012. Silent Hill Revelations. It's <laughs> not number five. <laughs> no, number five for me is a uh, is a documentary. It's a uh, Jiro Dream. And um, this is a very like peculiar if kinda, documentary. If you kind of cut out like just then, like what you say? Oh, I said number five for me is a uh, is a documentary. It's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, I love uh, that. And it's uh, it's incredibly well shot. Like everything looks very clean and crisp. But not only that, but the this layer of stories that you don't expect to have, it really has. There's a lot of like family drama because there's this 98 year old three star Michelin sushi maker who makes sushi at a subway stop in Japan, and there, it takes months to get reservations there. And he's got an oldest son who has all this immense pressure to be as good as his father. And then there's, like, the second son who doesn't have as much pressure, and his sushi is as good as his father's. But it's just the way that, like, these people speak of this very old man and the way that they film the sushi as it's being made and 
just the way that they filmed the sushi like sitting there. It's just it's beautiful. And again, it, it's a deeper story than than what you would expect. And I was I was very swept up in this. It's only like ninety some odd minutes. I think that it was still on Netflix streaming. It's only eighty minutes. Yeah. yeah, and I was completely enthralled with this. And it's just it's a pretty quick ride, but. I mean, you learn so much about this family, about the culture of Japan, um, and I loved it. Can I ask you a question, Abe? Sure. After watching the documentary, like, this is completely serious, Do you, would you spend the money to go eat at his restaurant, like the $300? No, hands down, no question. I would. If I could get a reservation, I would. Like, I would uh, fly to Japan for, like... Really? Yeah. I would fly to Japan for, like, a week just to go ch- check out his restaurant. Like... It, from the way that everything is described, it's just apparently it's not just like a visual treat and it's not just like a taste bud treat. It's like a it's an all like physical senses treat. Is it hitting you from every corner, like all around you? <laughs> apparently, <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's one. Of, that's one I still haven't caught up with, but I really want to. And it's been a very good year for documentaries as well. And um, I chose not mm-hmm. to put documentaries on my top ten list, but I, there's certainly a lot of good ones that came out this year. And this is one I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, what I what I like about um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi is that it highlights something I don't think gets enough due or respect, and the fact that the craft of of, of making food is a, a really genuine art form. You know, it's not just putting stuff in the oven and putting it on the plate, but sushi, especially the precision and 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 the skills. It it, it I mean, it goes. It's it's art. It's really beautiful. Right. My uh, number five film is Paranorman. Um, I, I, I've watched this movie a lot, and I was very close to just saying screw it and putting it at my number one because I really love Paranorman, and I want to champion it so much. Like, I... This movie, I said, I remember seeing through the trailer for this movie like a year ago, and just the season of the witch plane, and like the just kind of images we're seeing, and I was already excited for it, and I was so happy that this movie delivered just on everything I wanted to be and more, and. We already talked about a lot of things about Paranorman, but what I what I love about among the things I love about this movie is that it it actually assigns purpose to the zombies in the film, and I love zombie movies, and mainly because it's their generally I mean the good ones anyway are generally character focused because you folk, because zombies are just kind of like threat outside, so you don't really need to worry about that. You just worry about the characters that are, you know, kind of suffering through it. But this movie actually brings purpose to why there are zombies here, and I found that to be so clever. Among the many things that are clever about this movie, it just feels like this great ode to kind of the Amblin 80s era, mixed with the love for, like, John Carpenter films, and of course the Romero zombie pictures. It just has so much going on and of course it's a visual delight i love the stop animation here the um the voice it's it's frequently it's very entertaining it has one of my funniest scenes of the year still um and i just yeah i just love paranorman does it involve a ton no it's the vending machine Uh, (laughs) oh the vending machine is so good uh, yeah i i just absolutely love paranorman and yeah easily yeah easily as well like you said mark it's my favorite um animated film of the year and just of of the past few years i just yeah really love it another thing i forgot to mention when i was talking about it i think a lot of cartoons these days have a sort of a manic rushed quality to it and paranorman has the sort of desire to just tell a story quietly and it it's not like hitting you over the head with it and i i don't know that was it was 
it's it's rare to see that in an animated film. Usually, animated films tend to be, you know, I mean, as good as I loved Wreck It Ralph, and as good as it is, it does that has that manic quality and kind of that, especially represented by that Sarah Silver character, Sarah Silverman character. She is sort of like, you know, really like a cartoon. I mean, it is a cartoon, but she's she definitely embodies that. Whereas Paranorman almost sort of exists on another level. It's not even like a cartoon. It's to a me. somber sort of film in terms of yeah. the tone. It, it is. Oh, that's the other thing. It's not. It may not play to children right. as well as something like Wreck It Ralph. Um, it's it's not quite as accessible, I think, to like. I mean, if, if you're taking a five year old to it, they may not. I actually saw it in a pretty crowded theater, and it was actually I was laughing more than most of the people in the theater. I mean, the adults were laughing, but the kids not so much. So I don't know if if that's typical or if 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 that was just my my audience. But it definitely well, is it's more it's, adult. I think it's borderline because my um, four year old nephew has no desire at all. Thinks it's scary and doesn't like it. My eight-year-old nephew was much more into it. Kind of was like, yeah, let's watch it again. Like, he was scared, but he wanted to watch it again because he had a lot of fun with it. I really like Paranorman. And I, also, this one has a really good voice cast as well. It does, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, oh, fasc- I'm sorry. Excellent. No, I'm, I'm fascinated by the um, the craft that went into it. Besides the fact that I always think the amount of time and effort that goes into stop motion is incredible – what they did is they used, like, these 3D printers to, to print out the faces. Yeah. So they could use the same figures and change the faces, which to me seems like a major evolution in stop-motion animation. And it, it shows. I mean, the facial expressions are astounding on these yeah. little little figures. Yeah, there's some really good um, kind of making of features on the Paranorman Blu-ray and DVD that really kind of go into that process. It is very interesting to see how that works. I also have to shout out, just to go back a bit, Alan, for the Prometheus um, Blu-ray. There's like a four-hour behind-the-scenes making of Prometheus, which is pretty awesome oh, yeah, to watch if you want to know everything yeah. about that movie. <laughs> four, I know it's, it's literally four hours. It's like, it's what, like three hours and 37 minutes? Or only, on the, only on the 3D Blu-ray, though, not the regular one. Yeah, correct, so... Which is why I bought the 3D one. Yeah. Alright, getting back on track here. Mark, what is your number four film for 2012? So, my number four film, uh, which is actually very uh, appropriate to have Jordan on the show today, is uh, The Dark Knight Rises, because I saw this with him. And, you know, this was kind of a year of uh, superhero films, and I don't think any, for me, um, embodied... The, a great superhero film as much as, and there were many good ones, but I thought The Dark Knight Rises was the best of all of them. And I really feel like it was a fitting end to the the, the Dark Knight series. Um, I, we can debate whether, you know, it's the, it's, it's the best or the worst or whatever of the series. My point is it was good, and it was a, it, it emotionally um, uh, engaged me. I really liked it. Uh, Christian Bale's kind of trying to debate, you know, his duty to the city and his uh, discussions he has with his butler. I think that was really um, kind of... He has a name. (laughs) His butler? (laughs) Yeah, it was... It escaped me for a second. I thought I could kind of gloss over that. Michael Caine plays Alfred. Michael Caine. Alfred. Michael Caine. Well, no, Alfred is, is the name that I was trying to think of. But um, yeah, I know it's Michael Caine. But anyway, um, and you know, it's The Dark Knight Rises. He actually rises twice in this movie. He rises in the very beginning, mm-hmm. where he kind of mm-hmm. emerges from his self-imposed exile, and then he has to rise again in sort of this Rocky-esque way. Yes. Um, you know, in the second yeah. half of the film, 
and I I liked both. I I I was there for both of them. So you know, it was an exciting film. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it um. When I, I, so I certainly love Dark Knight Rises. It's in my 11 through 20. And my list became much easier when I took it out of the top 10. Just because I, I've, what I like about Dark Knight is it's very watchable. Just like all the Batman movies. I've certainly, I've watched it a lot. But I do, I do think it has its share of kind of issues compared to the other Batman films. Which is why it ultimately didn't make, ultimately didn't make my top 10. But that doesn't stop this from being, you know, one of the better trilogies just in general. And just, there's so many things I do love about this movie in like kind of individual segments, uh, moments of just pure, just Batman joy. And I mean, anyone that knows me knows that I'm just a ginormous Batman fan. So like it, pure Batman joy. It, it, uh, <laughs> it, um, it, it, yeah, Dark Knight Rises is certainly a pretty strong accomplishment from Christopher Nolan, who was able to kind of craft this trilogy overall and make a, I kind of wish Adam was on here just to be like upset that we have Dark Knight. We're talking about Dark Knight Rises. But I, could I, I think his head exploded right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking how much we love this movie. I I can't sing the praises enough of Anne Hathaway in that movie. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I totally. I think she's she, just tremendous. She had a good year. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's not doing bad for herself. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun movie. I think I think we'll all probably you know for many more years be laughing and and doing the Bane voice in in our in our bed. That's never going to get old. Stop doing the Bane voice. I did not stop doing the Bane voice until this I saw the light of day. (laughs) Aaron Aguilera, what is your number four film of two thousand and twelve? Um, it's the Theft Thing You Do prequel called Lincoln. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> there was one throwaway line in That Thing You Do, and it referred to Lincoln. Um, yeah, no, it's Steven Spielberg's which you, Lincoln. Which you clutched onto with dear life, apparently. I did, I did. I, no, if you're going to go for it, you go all the way. I am Spartacus. Good job. Uh, no, my... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Let's just riff on that thing you do for a while. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, Captain Geese and the Shrimp Shack Shooters uh, is, does the soundtrack from Lincoln, I believe. Yep. Um, okay, anyway, no, Stevens Bilberry's Lincoln is my number four movie of the year. Um, it, The Tony Kushner screenplay is, um, like, the, like we were saying earlier, is one of the, one of the best, one of the best screenplays this year. Um, and also with the verbiage and everything, the it just reminded me a lot of John Adams and how that miniseries was written and how there was actual thought and insults were much better back then because today it's not as good as it was back then. And the thing that I really liked about this film is it kind of showed you how much is at stake with political power plays and how you kind of have to play that game. And it also made this mythological figure of Lincoln that we have and kind of brought him down to our level. And you kind of saw him for more so as the man that he was. Um, and this is probably the best ensemble cast that came out this year. James Spader's a highlight. But as good as Daniel Day-Lewis was as Lincoln, and he just fully embodied that role, I wasn't surprised or anything by his performance because I knew it was going to be good. Tommy Lee Jones steals that movie. As Thaddeus Stevens, he is—he's brilliant. I—I I can't get over the fact like it's almost as if they wrote that part specifically for him, 
And there's one of my favorite scenes this year is when he's sitting in Congress and just kind of berates the other the other um, congressmen on the opposing side, the Democrats. I adored it. I thought that scene was beautifully written, poignant, and almost perfect. Um, it's probably one of my favorite scenes this year, and you'll probably see it in the in the little thingy that you had me fill out, Aaron. Um, I, I just I thoroughly enjoyed the film, and um, I know it was a bit long, but overwrought. But I know we discussed it for ad nauseum with Adam on your podcast earlier. But yeah, it's probably one of my favorite period pieces I've ever seen, and it's my number one, four movie of the year. Jordan, what is your oh. number four film of the year? Oh, all right. It's all connected. Cloud Atlas. <laughs> um, I really love this film. I think it's about as ambitious as films get. Which means that not everything works. But I was okay with that. I thought it was brilliant. and But I, I, I can see why people would not uh, really connect with it. Why I wouldn't resonate with him. And I wouldn't begrudge him for it. But I feel that there's so much to like about it. Like, the performances are just phenomenal, for the most part. And I think the transitions in the film, like, my favorite part of Cloud Atlas uh, are the transitions. And I think, like, every transition can be dissected and um, and, and, and just, just analyzed. And I think what they did was groundbreaking and something that I think in years to come will be respected the way I think it should be. Yeah. So we've mentioned it already once with, uh, with Maxwell and yeah, the cloud Atlas, I, I, I really admire a lot of that movie for sure. This is a brave film and uh, I think it pays off. I think that's, that's two films in a row. Now the Wachowskis have made that are going to end up being more appreciated later in their lives than when they first came out. Oh my god, Speed Racer. Oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> I, love, I, I have an intense love for Speed Racer. I, I mean, I think I've said it before, I haven't disliked the movie that they've directed. I mean, the, I've certainly, I'm not a, I'm not as big of a fan as the, of the third Matrix movies as the rest of their movies, but I, I really like what the Wachowski have done as directors. And, I mean, not to take away from Tom Tickford either, I really like Ronald Run and, uh, yeah. and Perfume. Perfume. All right, Maxwell, what's your number four film of 2012? Okay, my number four film of 2012 is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, this is a really, really special film. Um, I had read the book a couple years ago, more than that, actually, um, and I had issues with it. Um, so I was, you know, whatever kind of cautiously optimistic, I guess you could say, about seeing the film, but it really just knocked me out um besides the fact that no film this year hit me as emotionally as this one um it has this really unique quality that feels like i had like memories of this movie already inside my head while i was watching it and i think that speaks a lot to the the tone it achieves uh, of nostalgia and friendship in high school and it treats it with such nuance and and respect and and these performances of the three main characters in the movie are just tremendous i mean i can't remember the last time i saw an actor 
display as much vulnerability as Logan Lerman does. And to be able to achieve that at, at such, as young of an actor as he is, is really impressive. But then especially Ezra Miller is just, he's a knock. I mean, he's incredible. He's filled with so much life in this movie. And then to kind of contrast that with his work as, as Kevin and we need to talk about Kevin. He, he's an actor of great range. Um, but the movie is just tremendous. It, I love it very much. Yeah, he sir, Ezra Miller certainly made me turn around on him after we need to talk about Kevin, where he's certainly good in that movie, but he made me hate him. So, like, I'm happy that I can watch. He did his job. I know he did his job, for sure, but I'm certainly happy that I can, like, look at him fondly because of his performance in Person Being a Wallflower, a movie I do like quite a bit, not nearly as much as I know some people do, but I do like that movie. And I'm surprised that Summit never, like, expanded that super wide, because I feel like it probably would have did really well at the box office if it was, you know, available for everyone to see. I, I do I also... too. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I hope it finds the life it deserves when it comes out, um, you know, on DVD and Blu-ray next month. I think a lot of people will discover this film. Um, and I think a lot of people who had read the book didn't have the opportunity to see it because it just never went to their towns. Yeah. Since we were talking about Ezra Miller, I just want to mention a little film that he did several years ago that I don't think too many people saw. It was called City Island. That's another good film as well, yeah. It was yeah. one of my ten favorite films the year it came out, and uh, he was in it. He's very young in that film, but um, uh, also another film to definitely check out if you have not seen it. Yeah, City Island with uh, Andy Garcia and a lot of people in that movie, actually. That's... Juliana Margulies, Stephen Strait, Emily Mortimer. Yeah, yeah that's, that's another – yeah, I recommend that film as well. That's, another, that's a solid solid film. Yeah, and just the um, last thing I want to add is I, I'm really hoping that um, writer-director Stephen Jabosky, who also wrote the novel, um, picks up an Oscar nomination next week for Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very possible he got a Writer's Guild nomination just today, um, and that would really, really please me if that happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, that That's another thing I admire about the film, that you know the, the writer of the book wrote and directed this movie and managed to, for what I can tell, pulled it off. I haven't read the book, but he you know apparently pulled it off quite well. I mean, it's certainly... Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, you were saying that it's really cool that he wrote the book and was able to, you know, translate that into film, Um but, I mean, I feel like it could have been, in that scenario, really self-indulgent, um, where you have someone so close to the material then adapting it to film. But, you know, he made smart cuts. Right. He, he was not afraid to um, change things for the better and, and make it work better in the cinematic language. So I thought that was really impressive, and I, I hope he, he continues making films. He's very talented. I was also impressed with that because you know, he took out some elements of some of the other family members that he really delves into in the book. Um, talk about like the sister, the brother, and the parents and his grandparents. Um, and he just cuts that out of the movie. And it just makes it feel a lot smoother. That's something I kind of noticed when I was watching but I feel like there was more to be seen from some of the other characters that just probably existed in the book that wasn't in the film. So nice to... Nice that I can confirm my thoughts on that, I guess. And when the Blu-ray comes out, I imagine there probably will be a handful of deleted scenes or something that might further expand on these things. Yeah, I I know one um, event in particular that happens with Charlie's sister was filmed. Oh, they did? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, and it's a really um, hard-hitting scene in the book, so I'm looking forward to seeing that deleted scene. Abe, what is your number four movie for 2012? Number four is... uh... Safety Night Guaranteed. Hey. 
Mm. I really like this movie a lot, and I know that it has its flaws, and you might not believe, like, the last few ten minutes of it, but uh, I found it very enjoyable. I found it to be a, a quiet performance from all the characters, a lot of subtle jokes, um, but it works well on, I think, uh, the same level that, uh, we'll talk about Looper a little bit later, too, but it works well in the way that Looper works, which is just sci-fi movie, there's, like, some romantic comedy, there's some, kind of just, like, some hipster movie, <laughs> and uh, I, I really enjoyed Mark Duplass and Aubrey Plaza, I think that they were really fun in this movie, and I, when I first saw it, I was like, this can't be that good, and I was pleasantly surprised. I, I feel like years down the road from now, I'm really gonna, like, I'm gonna be continuing to watch Safety Not Guaranteed and continuing to really admire it, it's a film that, it has just a few things that kind of, like, held it back from me from liking it, like, like really. Kind of like some character arcs and stuff? Yeah, just holding it back from yeah. me from loving it more, but it is a film that I really do admire and do certainly recommend people see, because it is, it does have some really, really strong performances there, and I do like the where the, how the central premise plays out. So. Yeah, I love the um, the song he sings with the zither. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, a zither is a great underused instrument. Like I own it now. I bought, I bought the film since. Oh, I thought you meant like a zither, and I was like, "What? You own one? What?" <laughs> <The zither>. um, <laughs> speaking of safety, I guarantee my number four film is Looper. Actually, um, this is. We've talked about this already, but yeah, it's like Ryan Johnson's fantastic sci-fi action drama that I feel like it, it incorporate. It, you know, it could easily have been just another kind of entry in the sci-fi genre that you know doesn't have much going on. It's be forgettable, but it's not. It has it has a brain. It is a it is a fairly smart picture. It it wisely doesn't try to be a time travel movie. It certainly has that as its core premise, but what I like is the kind of turn it takes in its second half, and it it, it uses time travel as kind of a, a means to get characters certain places, but you probably could, you know, rewrite this film around and have it play the same, play a similar way without having time travel at all. I think it's just that clever in terms of what it ends up actually doing, and I, I really like the performances here from Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis and Emily Blunt, and um, the, the young boy, Pierce uh, uh, Pierce uh, Gangan, I believe his name, last name is, like, he, that, the child actor in this movie, he's really strong in what he's bringing to it, and that, that was something I really liked about. strong. Yeah, yeah and... Um, he scared me He did, lot. yeah, for sure, but he also has this kind of warm personality that I really admired, so it's... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things I love about Looper, and I really love just how how the plot comes together and like kind of the different turns it takes all the little details going on Ryan Ryan Johnson's direction in this movie is pretty fantastic it's great to see like as much as I love Brick um, Looper is certainly a very uh, very a very strong film in terms of its direction in terms of all the things that are incorporated in terms of kind of the world building that we see the the uh, just you know the sci-fi setup the the various bits of technology the even the approach to the logic of time travel or, you know, kind of the, the, <laughs> the anti-approach to the logic of time travel. There's just a lot of things I really admire about this movie. And, yeah, that's why it's my number four. Cool. All right. Uh, Mark Hoban, what is your number three film for 2000? Number three is Headhunters. And this was a Norwegian film. Um, I... I walked into this movie really not even knowing much about it. And I walked out, like dumbfounded with how amazing it was and i i think that what makes it so engaging is just the way that the narrative develops in a way that you really can't guess the outcome and it kind of 
has the classic suspense of the past. There's sort of uh, these twists and turns that would make Hitchcock proud. But it's also got this kind of gritty, kind of bloody uh, quality to it, too, that would kind of recalls Quentin Tarantino or the Coen brothers. Um, but I think there's a humanism present in the film that even sets this apart from those kinds of films. Um, it's about people with insecurities, and there's even kind of a an emotional love story in the center of this film that uh, you kind of find plays out as these all this like gunfire and shooting happens as well. So it was kind of like a little bit of everything, and I I really love this film a lot. And um, I hear that there may be a and like an American remake yeah. uh, possibly made of it. I really urge people to see the original first. Uh, not that the remake can't be good as well, but the original, I think, is it's obviously it's my number three film of the year. So I, I, I thought it was almost perfection. Yeah, Mark, you basically convinced me to watch it again because I did see it and I did like it. I just I wasn't as in love with it as you are, apparently, because it's, right. it, but I do appreciate a lot of what it did. I like there are moments where you're like, well, that's a, near, a neat place for this movie to go. Has anyone else seen Headhunters on this podcast? I no. have. I played, I played the, I played the, the Newport Beach Film Festival. Festival yeah. So. yeah, it was. I liked it a lot. I was a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, a there's there's an auto accident in yes, this film. That's crazy. I, I didn't even breathe the whole time that it happened. I mean, I was like, it really it takes it to like. There's times where you expect the camera to flinch or you expect something to happen to kind of you expect, and this takes it takes it there. And so I was so I, there. I mean, there's lots of scenes. There's I, I love the this guy is like five foot five and he's got this unbelievably tall, statuesque blonde woman for a wife. And he's sort of insecure about that. And that plays out in the narrative and in an interesting way. And, you know, it keeps you guessing. You, you definitely you're not sure what exactly is how it's going to play out until the very end. OK, Alan, what is your number three film for 2012? My number three film is Django Unchained. Um, I really like this movie. Well, I like all Quentin Tarantino movies, except for Death Proof. Um, so <laughs> I like Death Proof. <laughs> I, I, I think it's his weakest film. Um, so, no, I, I ended up reading the leaked script like a year ago, and I fell in love with it. I thought it was great. I thought it was, it, it was everything that I thought it would be from the story idea of what I thought Django was going to be. So... That was a big mistake on my end because I had really, really high expectations for this film when I walked in, and it didn't really meet them. It didn't get to the part that I wanted it to, but it was still a really, really good movie. It was really fun. I loved the dialogue. I loved, I loved a lot of the action sequences because they're so outrageous. And I, reading it, I knew Waltz was going to be King Schultz, and I knew that. Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be Candy, but I didn't know who Django was at the time. So I kind of had ideas of who it was going to be. Like at the, at the time when I was reading it, I was thinking it was going to be Will Smith, or they were even throwing out Idris Elba or um, Omar. Yeah, or even Omar <laughs> from The Wire. So I was just like reading it with kind of different voices in my head, and I think that as good as Jamie Foxx was, I think there would have been a better choice for Django. But love the movie. I think it's. Quickly paced. I think it's the most straightforward film. I think it's a nice kind of over-the-top uh, Quentin Tarantino movie that he wanted to make. And I love westerns, and I, I just had a lot of fun with it. And I thought it was 
Lyric and um, Samuel Jackson probably does his best performance in about ten years. Oh, he's been so actually. Good. I totally su- support you. Uh, I-, I had issues with this movie, but um, but as far as the supporting performances, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, I totally support you in that. They're phenomenal. The um, the more I see it, and I've seen it a few times now, the more I really actually love Jamie Foxx in this movie. I think it, I mean it's obviously the least showy role. But I think he's doing a lot here that's going to kind of get overlooked. But I'll just leave it at that. I, I agree with that very much. Alan, uh, who who would you have preferred to see in that role? Um, I would have preferred like the idea that of Will Smith being in that film. I thought was very intriguing to me because he hasn't done anything like that before, where mm-hmm. it was going to deal with something uh, a kind of. I think the idea of having this clean cut African American male that white people love and putting him in that role. I think would have been something interesting for the audience to experience. I feel like I'm in love with I the. I, been... I feel like I'm in love with the idea of that more than actually having seen it. I'm sure, but honestly, I think it would have been awesome if um, I, I always forget his name because I'm a terrible person. Omar from The Wire. I just thought that would have been. Hey, Michael Williams. K. Williams. Yeah. Michael yeah, Michael K. Williams. I thought that would have been great because he I... looks gruff, he looks scary, and there's scenes that he could have had with Samuel Jackson with Steven. I think those scenes could have been great. I, I, but not... I agree with that, but yeah, I see. I see what you're saying about you know an actor audience's love seeing him kind of turn turn on his head there, and I don't think, you you know, you wouldn't get that element from Michael Kill Williams. I think you'd kind of be like, oh, yeah, of course he's this guy. Like, Yeah, but I, I you know, I'm just a big fan of him, so. But I, I'm, I, not, I'm not belittling Jamie Foxx. I, I think he did a great job, and I, I liked him as Django. I just, in my head, Django, when I was reading it, which is awful, and I hate that I think this because I always kind of belittle people who compare book, movies to books, but as reading it, he is almost this mythological character he's this ridiculous heroic black male that's gonna just bring the pain to the white man and you see jamie fox i'm like yeah okay i'll buy it i'll buy that he's slender and he's quick with the gun but i don't think he's that intimidating it should have been kanye west i get what you're saying (laughs) it should have been it should have been all right let's uh or terrence howard because he's threatening terrence howard at all not at all well he's still pimping thank you it's hard out there. Um, Jordan, what is your number three film for the year? <clears throat> My number three film, Zero Dark Thirty. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I don't have... Please have don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty much like the antithesis to Act of Valor. Uh, and it's, <laughs> and it's, it's uh, so refreshing to have a movie like not talk down to you. And it just gives you enough where you can connect the dots to certain elements. And um, I was surprised that certain themes, it, it has like a neutral stance. I think it does. Uh, it, I, I think it's just a fantastic uh, film. And it's, I wasn't a big fan of her last film. Um, her Locker? Yes. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it, but... You know, I was just okay about about it. This film, like, I get it. Like, I, this is the film that I feel people felt for her locker. And I think it's going to um, be a tight race between this and uh, Lincoln and Argo. Sure. Maxwell, you want to get to your number three? Uh, I would love to because my number three is also Zero Dark Thirty. Ooh. Um, ding, 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 ding. Um, (laughs) 
I, I mean, I concur basically with everything that was just said. This is a, you know, challenging, intelligent, um, meticulous film that plays out more like um, something like Zodiac in, in its in its yeah. attention to detail and its, um, you know, you know, almost relentless investigation. Um, I won't go into too much more detail. I'm, but I, what I will say is that Jessica Chastain is is really incredible, um, and I think she brings a lot of soul to a film that's otherwise very um, cold and um, stays away from emotion or sentimentality. But also, um, and I am surprised I haven't heard him talked about a lot. But Jason Clark, oh, yeah. yes, in this film is just astonishing. I mean, he's terrifying, but he also has this arc throughout the film that really surprised me. Um, I, I think he's just great. It, it's just a phenomenal and important film. Um, and, and I think the discourse it has um, inspired has been fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, it's um, we haven't... Because, because Zero Dark Thirty has such a kind of staggered release, given where it's starting out and where it's going to be spreading in a few weeks. We haven't all seen it yet. So um, we'll certainly do a full show on Zero Dark Thirty. We're going to delve into it further. But it's certainly worthy of discussion because there's a lot of good about that movie. Uh, Abe, what is your number three film for the year? My number three film of the year is Lincoln. And we've talked about this a lot. Oh, you uh, saw I it. Did. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, I do want to just uh, add that... Uh, I constantly had to remind myself that this is all real. This was not... I mean, some of it may have been embellished a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, the, the whole entire notion of President Lincoln having to capture all these votes uh, at this very difficult time in the, the country's uh, history, as well as, like, just how much he had to deal with, not just in the political realm, but with his family, with uh, everything else, and... He was so judicious in his thinking, and he's also like what Maxwell said. He's he's. I never really knew that President Lincoln was, I guess, a, a funny man. Um, there are some lighthearted moments in the film, uh, including when he's like, all of a sudden shows up in a telegram room and says, you know, come out, you damn rats, or whatever he says. Come out, you and dirty just, rat. Yeah, and then he goes into this anecdote about you know, uh, Ethan Allen. And it was phenomenal. And there were some very tender moments as well. I mean, uh, yes, the theater got dusty when uh, he mentioned stuff that he wanted to crawl down inside. He thinks about it every day to crawl down inside a grave and just stay there. And it's, it's very, you know, well-done performance. And, again, just, man, Abraham Lincoln, like any president, I guess, just has so much to think about that this was phenomenal well-made, like whatever I had said. So, enough praise, but yeah, number three on the list. Good job, Abe, for bringing, bringing out Abe on your list of yeah. great movies of the year. Uh, that Ethan Allen scene is kind of like, it, that is hilarious. Mainly just because like, he just pops out of nowhere. It's, it's, it's almost, right. it's like yeah. he was hiding so he could tell this story, just waiting for like the right moment to jump out. Like, surprise! Like, <laughs> no, not another story! Yeah, and he goes, like, yeah, like, he literally acknowledges the fact that he just tells stories the whole time and just runs out of the room. Right. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, my number three film is Seven Psychopaths from, um, uh, <clears throat> 
the uh, yeah, Seven Psychopaths. Uh, it's been brought up once already, and I'm bringing it up again because I love this movie. This is exact. This is like this movie is kind of like yeah, I already would love this movie. I would people would would expect <laughs> me to love a movie like Seven Psychopaths, and I was just completely with it the entire time. I really love the screenplay. I had for a time I had this kind of tied with Cabin in the Woods, just because they're both kind of deconstructions of the genre they're representing, while also delivering on the genre that they are representing. It's a movie that kind of takes this this dark dark gangster comedy type film and kind of turns it on its head in terms of how it how it analyzes what you're expecting to see out of its movie gives you that and then says no this is how it's actually going to play out and along with being kind of like clever and fun it also has a heart to it which i really enjoyed and that heart can really be focused on Christopher Walken, who is amazing in this movie. And much like I don't expect Liam Neeson to get nominated for The Grey, I don't expect Christopher Walken to get nominated for Seven Psychopaths, but I certainly think he deserves it. I think he's just fantastic in the way he's 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 doing some of like what you what people seem to like in Christopher Walken these days, but he's putting in an actual acting performance into it in the same way that I guess Sam Jackson puts in an act, actual acting into Django, where he's playing the role that you you know you you like about this actor, but there's still work that he's doing to make you really care about this character, given kind of what he is in this movie. And I yeah, I, I think it's immensely entertaining. I can't wait to see it again. I've seen it twice already. I love so much of the dialogue. I think it's very funny. It does fall into that kind of something like a, like a movie like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where it has that kind of it knows the kind of movie it is, but it's also telling you that it knows what kind of movie it is and, and exploring that <laughs> fact. So, yeah, Seven Psychopaths, I really love this movie. Yes. All right. Mark Hoban, what is your number? We're getting there, guys. Runner-up. Number <laughs> The end is in the sight. The end is in sight. Number two film of 2012. So my number two film, it's been mentioned before, Moonrise Kingdom. I'm a big, big Wes Anderson fan. I really warm up to his sort of eccentric view, like Norman Rockwell view of middle, you know, Americana. And, you know, not everybody, I don't, I, I, he has sort of people who don't care for him, but I pretty much eat everything he, he, he does up. And I think this is probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie that he's ever done. Uh, I just think it hits all the right notes. I love the way that it's uh, laid out and each scene is so carefully um, portrayed, um, and it, it's just, it really, I laughed, I, I enjoyed it, I, I just thought it was a really wonderful film all around. What I love about Moonrise is that it's going, it is going to get a lot of kind of Oscar recognition, which is nice, and the, the production values in this film are pretty fantastic. Every scene in this movie is, like, carefully structured, and the way the camera kind of, it kind of sits in place and just, like, lets you absorb things and kind of literally slides to the side and goes to a different location, and that's also just filled with all these nice little idiosyncratic details that Wes Anderson's so fond of, like, putting in all of his movies. I, I just love the the sort of the askewed version of the main character. Like there's one part where he goes backstage and there's the the girls are back there and they're performing this play and he's like, "What kind of animal are you?" And someone answers, "He's like, no, not you, you." <laughs> and just the way that he speaks, he's just so he kind of looks sort of nerdy, but he's got this like he's got a mojo going that he's like really. I mean, he has his girlfriend, so yeah. he, he's obviously kind of successful in the love department department there's one part too where they're in the um the tent and i guess they've spent the night together i don't know they, they they're not really clear on it but they open up the tent and they they he peers out from the the the, the doorway and like 
there's all these people that have been like looking for them and they're all kind of like carefully arranged like in a little like a painting as he's like looking at them and it's just it's just kind of a quirky little sure, film yeah. alan what is your number two film my number two film was already discussed and it was um it's zero dark 30 um cd3 cd3 um <laughs> I like Jordan. I wasn't a big fan of the Hurt Locker. I think it was a bit overrated, and I think that it was a lot of hoopla around it. Um, not to belittle Catherine Bigelow's direction or anything. I just didn't think it was as good as people were saying. This movie, though, is great. It is fantastic. It is it is the it is the movie to kind of that encapsul- encapsulates everything that this war on terror has done and what America has kind of gone through for the past 10 years. And it asks a lot of poignant questions that we as American citizens have to answer and we have to kind of deal with. And um, like what Jordan was saying is like, everything's really matter of fact. Like here's this torture scene. We're not saying whether we're for it or against it, but this is what happened. Make your own judgments, but we are still going to tell you that it happened. And if you think it's because we get like a little morsel of information from that, from a torture so it does kind of make you ask the question of whether or not we think it was worth it as an American citizen and as America. Is it worth it to do the things that we did to get this man at the end? And was it even worth it at the end to get him? And the last half hour of this film is fantastic because oh man, you know you know what's going to happen and you know how it's going to get there, but it just kind of building it up and then kind of putting in some familiar faces for us so we can kind of go along with it, like. Like uh, Chris Pratt from Parks and Rex, one of the uh, SEAL Team 6, isn't it? And I thought that was really random. But <laughs> this film is great. I ended up seeing it by myself. I had I got the last seat at the Arclight when I wanted to go see it, and it was fantastic. And I just I loved it. I thought it was just really, really, really good. And it kind of blew me away because I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. And um, Jason Clark is kind of etched in my memory, and I think he had a lot of the good lines. Um, Maya has some great lines, too. The one with her and James Gandolfini. That's an awesome line. Um, but yeah. James, but Jason Clark and his terror interrogation tactics and the lines he had, they're, they're kind of riveting and they kind of stick with you. And the, most of them are in the trailer, but then in, in context of the film, it's 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 great. It's really good. That's yeah, my number two. I'm super curious about your number one, then. Man. <laughs> Keeping you on your toes. Yeah. As as well as you, listeners. That's me looking into the camera. Jordan, what is your number two film of the year? Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, my favorite Wes Anderson film. Um, I thought a lot about this. And yes, I've decided it's my favorite. Um, I think everything about it. Uh, it's just uh, it's just magical. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a, a charming, splendid little film I could watch any time. Uh, the supporting cast... You, you can't beat it. And the great thing about the supporting cast is I, I, I would watch a movie on any one of the characters from Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Francis McDormand, like uh, Bruce Willis. Any one of those characters could hold their, their own feature-length film. Um, Jason Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Schwartzman. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, a pretty good year for uh, for the Willis. Jason uh, Schwartzman's mustache, too. I watched that movie. Well, yeah, I mean... It's called May the Shorts Be With You. Oh. I don't get it. (laughs) Oh, you're a baby. (laughs) No need. Move on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
I think it's just a, a really positive, um, optimistic film. I was going to agree with you that it's been the year for Willis, but then I remembered Expendables too. Um, he was great in that. Shut up, Maxwell. He was. He was. I didn't. I didn't see it, but he was also in the cold light of day. Yep, that's yeah. That happened also. Maxwell, you're number two. Okay, take away what I said. I feel like we're being uh, redundant now, but my number two is also Moonrise Kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually the second one we agreed on, like, number, exactly. Yeah. um, For all of the reasons, you know, that have been discussed thus far, I love the, you know, the 16-millimeter cinematography is so lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the music, the the look, everything, the the cast. But what I what I really love about this film, and what I think sets it apart from almost everything else Wes Anderson has done, is you know the way it, it portrays this the the you know kind of awkward magic of young love, which is something I don't think that many films have touched on. Um, you have these two young characters who connect. Um, and it, it sort of shows all of the little, you know, t- you know, questioning moments and from everything from like the emotional connection to when it becomes more about sharing intimacy. It, it's just really lovely. Um, it just it makes me feel lots of things. <laughs> yeah, and kind of like um, perks of being a wallflower. It, it's just really honest and it feels really authentic. Yeah, those those two films make interesting um, counterpoints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because Moonrise is yeah, it certainly has, it has a sombering kind of tone to it, opposed to well, Perks is kind of yeah, I, yeah, good compliments. Yeah, I'll go stick with that. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. Like, oh, actually, um, <laughs> Abe, what is your uh, number two film for the year? Number two film of the year is Looper. And we've talked in depth about it, and I uh, just want to repeat everything everybody has said. There is a, a great 3D scene, some very funny future jokes. He's from the future. You should move to China. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciated all of the things that Ryan Johnson has done for the script and for the uh, thing. I, I especially liked that it wasn't a crazy future. It was, like, still cars that you see around today. Just, they look like crap, <laughs> and they've got, like, solar panels on them. And, um uh, yeah, it's like I mean, a future being on the verge of dystopian. Yes, yeah, with giant guns, which was the biggest thing that caught my eye. All of which seems to be where our country is 100% headed. <laughs> giant guns and diners in the middle of cornfields. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> It was a sugarcane, Oh, a sugarcane? My bad, my bad. Okay, uh, my number two film is also Zero Dark Thirty. Um, what, what? I I am a big fan of the Hurt Locker, but Zero Dark Thirty is amazing. Like this movie, <laughs> I, oh, I I walked in, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm gearing up for this, but the the way like it handles procedural drama is just utterly fantastic. In the same way that I believe uh, Maxwell already mentioned it with Zodiac, or is it Alan? It was Maxwell, I think. I, I, and, and um, yeah, like Zodiac and um, what's the other film I was thinking of? Like uh, Michael Mann's uh, The Insider actually came to mind, too, when I was kind of watching Zero Dark Thirty. And just the way it kind of handles process. And it even like, looks like Steven Soderbergh films and the, the ones that do that kind of similar thing. The way it just handles going over kind of activities that people are trying to get done. And you're just watching it unfold over this, you know, a lengthy, almost two, like two-hour and 45-minute period of just – Mostly just watching people 
trying to do a job and the intensity involved with that, the various moral implications that come from it. It's just, it's expertly done. It's very gripping for, as I said, a two hour and 45 minute film. I mean, it's obviously the, the final sequence that involves, you know, getting to Bin Laden, but it's just such a, a well done movie. And I screw you, Catherine Bigelow for upsetting my top 10 list <laughs> by making this movie that amazing. I was like, I was, I was expecting it to be good, but damn, this movie was pretty fantastic. Yeah. I think I'll add with that comment that I saw this movie today and I had already made my top 10 list. So I'm not I'm not changing it. However, Zero Dark 30 fully belongs in my top 10 because it, it was amazing. Oh man. Yeah, Zero Dark 30. That's a that's a good. And yeah, Jessica Chastain and Jason Clark both outstanding in this movie. Along with, you know, a lot of other people are very good too. I really, I'm always I've been a big fan of Mark Strong for such a long time and so he does he does a great job of oh he's almost playing but well I, well I'll save some of this for I guess when we do the actual episode for when we did the show but, Mark, but yeah Mark Mark Strong's quite good in this movie a lot of people are quite good Kyle Chandler oh. friend of the yeah, show we got to talk about the show, show Kyle, well I saved that I saved that for the real episodes so, exactly friend, yeah we, we got to save friend it friend of the show Kyle Chandler is quite good in here <laughs> also I, I also want to point out what's that woman Jennifer Ailey from who is Ailey I liked her too she had a very small part but uh, she, she was one of the more memorable parts of Contagion as well which was, yes. Which is, you know, not a similar film, but similar in kind of oh, style, right. style of how it's handled in terms of procedural oh. elements. So it's, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of good oh. performances, a lot of great direction, very deserving of a lot of praise for sure. I would call it Ely's performance explosive. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Number ones, guys. Get Boom. here we go. Mark Hoban, what is your number one film of the year, two thousand and twelve? All right, number one. I had to hold my praise earlier because uh, Maxwell mentioned this film, but number one is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I oh. adore this. I adore this film. And, you know, I think it's probably one of the most poignant dramas concerning high school life uh, I've ever seen, certainly since the golden era of John Hughes. But I think it's even deeper than those films. It's It's not quite as humorous, and it's more warmly accessible. And I think... The story is timeless, and it doesn't really matter whether you identify with the characters or not. I think these people make their insecurities so real that it just draws you in. And I think it's a cast of young actors that just flawless. And, you know, it, it, you, you love this camaraderie that these kids have. There's, there's a scene at, at a party where they sort of welcome this young man into their circle of friends and it was so touching, and the film is full of touching moments like this. And I was just, I was blown away by this film. I, I actually, I very rarely go to the theater twice to see a film, um, or more, I should say, I rarely go more than once. And I, I saw this film twice uh, at the theater, um, and I even brought friends to see it. I said, you have to go see this film. It's just, it's just incredible. And, um, yeah, I just, I really, you know, I... I didn't even. Re- it's one of those films too, where after I saw it, I, I knew I liked it, and as it just sort of sat in my brain ruminating, I kept coming back to it, realizing just how great it was. Um, but yeah, it was. It, I laughed, I cried, the whole gamut. It was wonderful. Plus, the high school they go to is pretty awesome. I mean, Tom Savini teaches shop, Paul Rudd teaches English. I mean, who wouldn't want to be that? That's <laughs> pretty cool. I would love to take English class with Paul Rudd. Yeah. Alan Aguilera, the time has come. What is your All number right. one film of 2012? 
It is a 2016 Obama's America. <laughs> Very stark contrast to Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. Well, you know what? No, I can't. It's a documentary. I can't do it. So I think, you know what? It's going to be Innocence of Muslims. Oh, never mind. It can't be that one either. No, my <laughs> number one film of the year is The Grey. Oh. Uh, it came out almost a year ago. Um, I kind of kept going back to the film when I was doing my top ten. When I did my first round, I was like, Okay, here are all the movies I liked. And The Grey always stood out to me. And it took me a long time to decide between my top three, really, and see kind of where it was going to go. And the more I thought about The Grey, luckily I owned it. And the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. Joe Carnahan directs his best movie. And the way he kind of stages it, and the way he makes you care about every single individual that is that survived the plane crash in, in the initial offset, the way he filmed that plane crash, the way he kind of has Liam Neeson go back and forth like through his flashbacks and his memories and kind of build it, where he is the main character, you know it's Liam Neeson, and he takes this idea of who Liam Neeson is from all the Taken films and all, like his past history, and you kind of just see him get slowly beaten down throughout the entire film. And towards the end, you're like, Liam Neeson is just... He's at. He's just. He's essentially like emotionally naked. He has nothing left when he has that final confrontation, and I love how it just cuts out. I, I love. I. I really do love this film, and the way he directed it, it makes you feel the cold in your bones. Okay. I was. I was freezing just looking at the film because you felt alone and you felt that you had no hope and your only hope was Liam fucking Neeson. <laughs> yeah, you can delete that. But he's it. Like he's it as you. As an audience member, you're like, he needs to pull the rest of these guys and myself out. If not, we're going to be lost in the ether. We're going to be lost out there to the and succumb to the wolves. And it makes you kind of feel every snowfall. It makes you feel every howl. Every time those wolves, you can hear them. You can he- like, and you can hear them howl. You can hear them get slowly closer. It, it induces fear. It's one of the scariest movies because it feels real and it feels like it's something that can that can really affect you in some sort of tragic accident. You could you could be in that same position. That's why I love the film. I love watching it, and it's almost this idea of these guys don't like each other, but they have to bond. They are, and every death scene hits you, and yeah. it kind of builds emotionally for every death scene. Like it goes, I'm not going to say, it, but like as it progresses, every one of them means more and more to you. So at the end, when it's you and Liam Neeson, you need him. You need that kind of release, and you need him. Like when he screams at God, you're with him. Like you know what? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I, yeah, you are correct, Liam Neeson. I appreciate what you're saying because that's exactly what's in my heart. And The Grey is my favorite movie of the year. Awesome. Glad to hear that, Alan. And your description of it. That's just really cool. Jordan Grout, here it is. Cards on the table. What's your favorite film of 2012? My favorite film, the most one I had, a film that's simultaneously terrifying, heartbreaking, Funny, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, <laughs> otherwise known as Django Unchained. The Silent Hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Django Unchained. Did you guys plan that? Did you guys plan that? No, we're just that we're we're good at the natural comedy, Alan. Heard <laughs> that yet? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, kind of with Seven Psychopaths and Christopher Walken. Um. Django reminds us how great Sam Jackson is. Um, and I f- feel people have forgotten that he is like a brilliant actor. Same with Christopher Walken. And it's so refreshing to see his two movies 
where you walk out, you're like, that is an uh, amazing performance. Um, but not just him, just everyone all around, like DiCaprio and and I do love Jamie Foxx in the role. I I think he's he he does a lot with it. Uh, but yeah, I I don't want to repeat what other people have said. That's my number one film, The Django. <laughs> Maxwell, here we go. We're at it. Number one, what you got? Here we go again. My choice for number one film of 2012 is also Django Unchained. Um, But what I want to stress here is that, okay, yes, the film is, you know, wildly entertaining with this incredible, poetic, and hilarious dialogue. These just amazing performances from the, you know, like sort of gleeful theatricality and grasp of language of Christoph Waltz to the surprising, really intense scariness of DiCaprio to the, you know, the really reserved and cool work of Jamie Foxx. But what really struck me about this film is it feels really angry and thusly, it, it, it struck me as a lot more important than I would have expected it to be. Like, I expected to go in and just have a great time, but I didn't expect to be so riled up and find it so um, affecting, you know, because I, I feel like there's still a lot of really casual racism in this country. And I think the race war, or whatever you want to label it, is kind of occurring every day under the surface more so in, in in places that, you know, I don't think us on this podcast necessarily live. Um, but looking at, at films and thinking about documentaries, I don't think slavery is ever something that's really been depicted with the nasty gra- gravitas that this film depicts it with. And you can say on the one hand that it's overblown, and it might be. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't there. And, you know, again, like Lincoln, this, like we were talking about, this – it takes place in a time before there was um, ways to record history besides the written word. It, it It's shocking and in, in, in a, a really um, important reminder of these atrocities that occurred on our soil. And I don't think we've ever really apologized or, um, and this might be my white guilt setting in, but it's it just moved me so deeply um, while also kicking my ass with the the blood and, and the humor, um, I, I I was knocked out by it. Yeah, it really doesn't pull any punches. It it forces you to confront, as you said, like the ugliness of it. And it's aggressive. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it and it it doesn't feel like some of other Tarantino's films where he's being violent to be cool. Mm-hmm which I don't have a problem with. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's my favorite filmmaker, but I have enjoyed everything he's done. But I think the violence in Django has a much more sobering point than the violence in the other films he's made, except for perhaps Bastards, which has a very clear thematic tie to this film. All right. Abe, my co-host, my compadre, <laughs> my, my personal Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll tell you an anecdote about Ethan Allen. What uh, is your number one film for 2012? I had to say that my list has an asterisk because I haven't seen Zerark 30. I was going to go see it tonight, but Aaron would have freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
tentatively, it'd be Argo, and that's primarily because I like political history a lot. Um, I know that this one is, you know, you compare Argo and you compare Lincoln, they're both historical depictions uh, brought to the silver screen. Uh, one is more um, embellished than the other, per se. Uh, but I, I definitely enjoyed Argo a lot, and I think that the reason why I enjoyed it is because all of the international politics that had to be involved for this kind of mission to be pulled off. And I appreciated the fact that Ben Affleck didn't have to put in as much filler, minus like some of the parts of the ending and, um, you know, I guess uh, maybe the dialogue and him casting himself as uh, an agent of Hispanic origin. But, I mean... It was great. I, I did not know this story. I, I was incredibly enthralled with, you know, getting these people out of the country, even though I, I knew how the ending was probably going to play out. Um, I think there were very strong performances by just folks like uh, Brian Cranston um, just yelling that we're an FNC uh, spy service company. Like, find out where the chief of staff's son goes to school. And it's just, you know, again, I appreciate the serious nature of it all. And I really liked it a lot. I think it was like one of the best movies of the year. I, I forgot how much you really liked Argo, actually. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I do. I do really enjoy that film. And I, I like the. You mentioned that there's not. There really isn't much flat uh, fat on this movie. Like it really, it uses its running time accordingly. It doesn't take too long to you know linger on certain things. It just kind of keeps moving. And especially in its last act, it's it, it's really intense. I love that how Ben Affleck's direction in. Um, you know, making this thriller work as, you know, a very edge-of-your-seat thriller. I mean, it, it, does, it does that very effectively. And, uh, yeah, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I really want to see Argo again before um, before the Oscars this season. I'm really hoping to catch it sometime soon again. So, that's a, it is a really good movie. I really like it. All right, Aaron. Aaron? I, I am waiting. <laughs> what is your number one movie? Drum roll. I mean, he's not gonna drum roll. Uh, the um, it's Django. I mean, it, it was my most anticipated. It was, <laughs> it's, so, it was, it's Django. It's Django. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, guys. Uh, but it, it, I mean, it was my most anticipated movie of the year, and it delivered in every front for me. I, I, I love Django Unchained a, a lot. It, it fits right up there with the other Quentin Tarantino movies that I all also love and there 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 are none that i dislike there are some that are you know slightly lesser than others but not by much but django just enters up into there as one of the just the best ones i mean like 2000 was 2009 when glorious came out right 2009 yeah that was my favorite movie of that year uh when kill bill volume 2 came out that was my favorite movie of that year and you know any other respective year for what jackie brown and pulp fiction it's just my favorite years for his movies and um but yeah, Django just everything came together exactly how I wanted to for me. It just the, the, I just love the dialogue, I love the soundtrack, I love the performances in this movie. I, I've seen it three times so far. It, I things about it continue to you know play better and better in my eyes, including as I was kind of saying earlier, Jamie Foxx's performance, who I think is bringing a lot to it as the character of Django, which will be overshadowed by just how good Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Sam Jackson are, just because of how you know showy their performances are. They are playing the characters that have the flower, the most the most flowery of dialogue, the most um, kind of quirks to their characters that really stand out. But I I do love Jamie Foxx just as much in this movie, and even Carrie Washington as well, who's certainly has a a minimal role compared to the others. But I mean, I think she's effective, and yeah, everything everything that everyone else has said already. Yes, I agree with. with 
the majority of that, uh, Jordan, you brought up some good points. Maxwell, you brought up some good points involving kind of the handling of slavery and how it's how Tarantino's kind of utilizing it in this film in a certainly. I mean, there's certainly it's certainly a very funny film. There's a lot of comedic moments, but it does have a, a level of intensity and a level of kind of anger involved of bringing up slavery. And while Tarantino may not be the go-to person to say, hey, uh, this is the guy that's going to really put his foot down and talk about slavery in a movie, he certainly do, he does what he can here, and it, I, I think it's quite effective. And so, yeah, Django Unchained is my number one film of the year. Hey, hey Aaron. Yeah. What do you think of the soundtrack? <laughs> the soundtrack has not stopped playing in my car. It, 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 is, it is going on. It's been on repeat, just nonstop. I love all the songs here. And I love that he's like, I mean, Tarantino has this huge library of, of, of soundtrack, of, of music. And, like, he chose songs for this film that, you know, come from very spaghetti westerns and other media, but he also had like he had John Legend write a song for this movie. That's awesome. He he uh, he had a that Rick Ross song. He had, he had the, yeah the Rick Ross song he had in this film is fantastic. He has the he had Ennio Morricone and um an Italian acting person I can't name right now. He had write write a song for this movie, and he made a mashup of James Brown and Tupac that like is amazing <laughs> in this movie. Like there's just things that like there's certainly a Tarantino spin on the spaghetti western that's expected but it just works so well for me i just love watching it i mean it's two and four hours and 45 minutes so it just flows it just goes by me like i just yeah just really love the movie cool all right so that is our top 10 list Woo! we did it but we're not done because <laughs> we still have a, that's all like damn it we still have, we still have honorable people are like looking at their their ipods like oh no there is minutes left on this damn it i thought we were done <laughs> Um, I could just pause it, but I'm not going to. I'm really enthralled by this. Um, we, we <laughs> that's what they say out loud to themselves. Um, we, we have. I want to get to some honorable mentions, but first off, um, any uh, like uh, uh, foreign films that anyone wants to bring up? I guess there's always a good amount of foreign films that come out every year. Well, I, I had a list, but and a more, but that's about it. I'm sorry, Alan. Would you say a more and what? And headhunters, oh, headhunters were the two uh, highlights for me. Any others, guys? Yeah, I mean, well, I just saw this, but Rust and Bone, I love that. Is that the one where she loses her legs and stuff? Yes. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Thank you. No. <laughs> oh, Spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, no, I. Uh, it's like, no, it's like, uh, that's like it's what the entire movie's about, right? It's not like a spoiler. No, is it's it? not too much of a spoiler. No, it's not. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, we uh, the kid of a bike is a movie. I think that was kind of. I guess it kind of technically came out last year, but it only reached U.S. this year, and I really like that movie quite a bit. And uh, clown, yeah, that's a good movie. clown. Jordan, you mentioned you mentioned clown, and that's a movie yes. I really liked a lot. And Love. and this movie called Has anyone seen Sleepless Night? No, that's the French. It's film? a French film, yeah. Course it, is. it is it is this French film that's basically die hard inside of a nightclub and it's really really good I can't wait to see it again actually it's this it's really inventive in how it presents this kind of incredibly long night for one guy trying to get back his kidnapped son inside of a nightclub and it's 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 a really solid action movie in a not oh I remember I remember another foreign film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Expendables two because I didn't understand a word <laughs> of what was happening in that movie. <laughs> All right. Um, I would I would add um, Oslo August thirty first. Yeah, that's one I wanted to see, which is really really good. Um, it's on Netflix Instant. I recommend checking it out. And also, this is foreign, but it's also a documentary. And 
I think everyone should watch it, and it's this is not a film. That's been a, that's on my oh, wish yeah. I could have seen yeah. list as well. Which is really really great. I I don't put I choose not to put documentaries on my top ten, um, but it it it's really really great. Okay, any uh, any documentaries besides uh, this is not a film, of course, that anyone wants to make mention? Well, the, I loved uh, Searching, Searching for, Sugar for Sugar Man. Searching for Sugar Man, yes. Yeah. That's actually, I don't, I'm tipping my hand a little bit, but that might be my favorite soundtrack of the year. That's a great, it's a great really, soundtrack. Yeah. It is, and it's like a like an undiscovered talent that it's like, what is this? It's so amazing. Um, I really like that. And then uh, just one other one I'll quickly mention, uh, The Imposter. I thought that was yes. awesome. Yes, I was about to say that. Yeah, The Imposter. Yeah. The, um, the imposter is fantastic for me, and, and Searching for Sugar Man. That's the closest. But if I if I did have a top, if I did put a documentary in the top ten, that's like the closest that would have probably got on there. Yeah, and, me too. And um, Marley is a movie I want to mention, and I feel like I feel like somehow people tend to seem to know what the runtime is for Marley because it's like two and a half hours, and I feel like that's throwing people off from watching it just because like oh that seems like an investment. But that movie. It's, it's a really good documentary. It's really strong. If you not even if you don't necessarily like reggae, I mean Bob Marley's life is quite interesting. This movie does a, a really good job of presenting all of like what he stood for, where he came from, the messages that he was bringing in his music, and just how people were affected by it. It's a really really solid documentary that I really recommend to people. Yeah. Oh, one other documentary I'll throw out. I forgot about this one. Samsara. That was also visually breathtaking. Oh, that's a movie I wanted to see too. It's really one of those movies. I wish you had seen it in the theater. Uh, I know, yeah, I'm gonna be annoyed. It's not gonna have the same impact on on a. I'm just. I'm gonna movie. sit really close to my TV when I watch it. Yeah. On <laughs> right. Do you yeah, do that? I, was, I was gonna mention that one, and seeing it um, in 70 millimeter was pretty yes. incredible. Um, and then the other one I wanted to mention was the Queen of Versailles, <laughs> which oh. I believe is also now on uh, Netflix Instant. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. It's it's. At simultaneously hilarious and like just disturbing and disgusting, and I I don't want to give anything away, um, but it, it's like this. It takes a look at this element of our society that is usually depicted in one way, and depicts them in a very different way, and it I yeah it's definitely worth checking out. Any other. Uh... Docs, or let's move on to honorable mentions then. Let's see. Okay, honorable mentions. All right, let's. I guess we'll just go in the same order. Mark, what are your honorable mentions? Um, well, I I sort of mentioned this already, but uh, I had already compiled my list at the end of 2012, and then I, I just saw Zero Dark the Thirty today, and that would that was ex- excellent. So I love that, and I also saw um, Rust and Bone yesterday, and that was also quite uh, quite good. Um, so I, I love Flight, uh, The Impossible, Prometheus, Robot and Frank, Silver Linings Playbook, Skyfall, Ted, Argo, Anna Karenina. Uh, did I say The Avengers? The Avengers. So I, those are my <laughs> honorable mentions. <laughs> Alan? Awesome. Uh, Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, Paranorman, uh, 21 Jump Street I thought was really good. Um, Lawless I had a lot of problems, but I liked it enough. End of Watch was surprisingly great, and uh, Killing Them Softly almost made my top ten. Jordan? In no particular order, Prometheus, Smashed, Paranorman, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Killer Joe, John Carter, The Avengers, Perks of Being a Wallflower, Ted, 
Dread, Looper, Sinister, Argo, and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Maxwell. I have to say, I really liked hearing Ted and Dread. Um, <laughs> <laughs> question. Um, okay, uh, this will be in um, descending order from preference. Just missing my top ten. Uh, the Grey, The Master, Skyfall, Paranorman, Holy Motors, Safety Not Guaranteed, Sleepwalk With Me, Anna Karenina, Argo, and finally, Pitch Perfect. Sleepwalk With Me, that's a good movie, too. It's, that's yeah. in my, like, kind of... Oh. It's, like, special. I have, like, a whole layout. I mean, people... If, if people read my top ten list on Weiss Blue or whatever, like, they got a whole layout of things, but, yeah. I, yeah. Like, I like hearing Pitch Perfect, too. That's kind of unexpected. I, I enjoyed that, actually. I've, I've watched that movie both in theaters and since it's been out... Um, couple weeks on blu-ray more times than i'm probably comfortable mentioning (laughs) it just it just really makes me smile which i think is something that has a lot of value hey man people love when people are secure (laughs) Abe, i i love rebel wilson too yeah she's genius she's really funny in this film Abe, you're a honorable mention yeah, no real particular order. Silver Linings Playbook, Wreck-It Ralph, Sleepwalk With Me, Beast of the Southern Wild, Brave, Goon, The Avengers, uh, Dark Knight Rises, The Secret World of Arietti, Killing Them Softly, Premium Rush, The FP, 21 Jump Street, End of Watch, and Killer Joe. Premium Rush. Premium Rush is fun. I watched that again the other day. It's just a yeah. fun movie. Goon. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Whoa, 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 Goon, that's another good one, too. That's a, that's yeah. a good yeah, one. Yeah, not many people saw Goon, but it's, it's actually surprisingly... <laughs> shot, uh, Tom, whatever. Sean William Scott. Scott. Sean William Scott, yeah, is not a not an idiot. I mean, he is, but it's not over the top in this one. I think Goon is the same movie as Drive. You think I, so? Really? I'm dead serious. I mean, I prefer Drive, oh. but I think the, the characters in the film have quite a, a, a bit in common. I never, I, think, I never looked at the way. I, I'd have to take a second look. I'd be welcome to take a second look. It's just yeah. All right, uh, my honorable mentions, I basically have a list that goes 11 through 20, so I'm just going to read those off in alphabetical order. And they, where is that list? There it is. Um, I, am, I have Argo, Beast of the Southern Wild, Cloud Atlas, The Dark Knight Rises, Killer Joe, Killing Them Softly, Life of Pi, Robot and Frank, Rust and Bone, and Silver Linings Playbook. Really? You completely forgot Utopia. I am a, I am upset. You know what I I I didn't I forgot Utopia my worst of list actually I didn't really forget it it was just more of like it's it's not even out so it's like I can reserve that for 2013's worst of list (laughs) yeah (laughs) also uh, I haven't heard many people uh, give love to Robot and Frank Robot and Frank yeah that movie yeah yeah I like Robot and you might you might hear me on the uh, the TV talking about that movie in a few weeks just saying oh the TV look at him on the TV. Uh, all right, so I, I feel like people have probably listened to us enough, so that's going to take us to the end of this bonus top ten episode of Out Now, Farron and Abe. Uh, and... Yep. <laughs> you know what's funny about this episode, though? What? It's as long as the year. It's weird. Thank you. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, CodaZeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as my various top ten lists for wrapping up 2012, and at com for Blu-ray reviews and more. Uh, you can also find me at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmiss.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmiss. Mark Hoven. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Mark underscore Hoban. 
and an Aguilera. You can find more of my work on Twitter at MrDVDMRDVD. And just follow me there, and then anything that I do, I'll post on there. Nice. It'll be really exciting. It'll be, yeah. Because sure. I don't do anything else. <laughs> Jordan Grout. Follow me on Twitter at AmsterdamChap. And Maxwell Haddad, who's stayed awake up to 4 a.m. to do this podcast with us. <laughs> my eyes are burning. Um, <laughs> you can find all my work at theractfocus.com, and you can also follow me uh, on Twitter at MaxLHad. Great. And you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now out there in the name on iTunes, also at hhwlod.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as the other shows on that network that are a lot of fun to listen to about comics and games and stuff. Outnow.podomatic.com. You can listen to most of the newest episodes there and some exclusives. Email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback regarding our top ten films of the year, as well as your own top ten film list. We'll be happy to kind of you know look at those and read them on the show because we like hearing back from what our listeners have to think about the films from last year. Uh, follow and like our pages: Facebook.com/outnowpodcast and Twitter.com/outnow_podcast. All the updates and what have you are located in those spots and. You know, it's always nice to get new likes and new follows, and, you know, we, we got some this week, and we we mentioned them on the show, so there you go. You, small rewards for simple causes, I guess. And uh, we sh- For a show, we do for free. Yeah, exactly. Um, next week's episode, 2012 is not quite over yet, because Abe and I are going to, we're planning on doing kind of a special accolades episode, where we, yes, had, we are. had a lot of our guests kind of write in with uh, various um, various thoughts on different different performances and scenes and things like that about 2012. So we're going to kind of compile that into one special bonus episode for, for our next show as well. So looking forward to seeing how that turns out. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this special top 10 episode of the, of 2012. Thank you guys for joining us for this. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. For sure. And, You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that's going to do it. So until <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> You're until Anytime. We're all tired. Until next time, so long. And goodbye. Farewell. 2012, out.
Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For the blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry, jumpers, coke, sweet Mary Jane.